Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. episode 109. In this episode we asked some Guild Ball players from around Europe about the Guild Ball field test, take some feedback, and discuss some of the proposals. Today to introduce us. Um, then we have to do that for ourselves. I mean, I, I think we should get him back like a bingo caller. Yeah, uh, he could just do the episode numbers. But although we're he, that although big, he's we're here that to do it because today is the community reaction cast where we're going to play, uh, play back some community reactions to the field test, which I've actually listened to yet. So it'll be quite interesting listening to that, that tomorrow or, or Thursday when I edit it. Um, I'm sure there will balance point of views. Um, yeah, we we got the best and brightest from around Europe to come and talk to us. Uh, so who, who's on it? Um, Neil's inspiring hat, Hermkins, uh, Robin Barbier from France, who they once one of the big methods in France, which is really interesting. Just hearing about all the stuff they do, and uh, Edek uh, Paul Korpal uh, from Poland, who's you know one of those Polish guys that's won some major national event at some point in the last eighteen months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, and uh, Dave Margetson, brother of uh, Steve, who works at SFG, who is a relatively new player. Yeah. So it was interesting. And then obviously we recorded all that, and then the the blog came out with some of the recommendations from the field test. So, so I think here it thought... goes. Basically, it's going to be some hot takes. Um, now I'm going to give my hot take, um, but I know very little about the game, and Steve will tell me why I'm wrong. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. What's... So if, if, if I say anything stupid, that's because I'm being devil's advocate. You see, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. You see. Let's see. Exactly no, no, Andrew, that. you're incorrect for these reasons. Um, so these are all suggestions. I think um, there's been a lot of um, vitriol online about some of these suggestions, like they've destroyed the game, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But people talk about them like like it's already happened. And I mean, what Matt said on that podcast and in the past is like he's just giving out suggestions, and people are talking about the things like it is it is the end times. Um, 
I mean, we have to bear in mind these are just ideas that is. Th I mean, I I always think of some of these ideas as being the sort of the spaghetti methods. You know, throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You see, and on them stick. Obviously, you need to cook it for longer. Hey, that works. Solid, solid <laughs> analogy. Solid metaphor there. <laughs> I don't know where I was going at the beginning, but actually, at the end it worked out okay. Um, so, um, so test one. Uh, playbooks no longer wrap. Um, now, playbooks, apparently, wrapping apparently is a hard concept to explain to new players. I'm not convinced that's true. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if they can, yeah. But um, I looked at it as a different point of view. Now, again, this is my hot take before Steve tells me how long I am. Is that first of all, it's going to obviously this would obviously require a top-down rework of the game. You can't you can't have this rule in place without drastically changing some playbooks because otherwise like, brewers are just bad right they're just awful because they need wrapping to do damage um pretty much um i find it interesting uh, as, as a mechanic because assuming you changed all the playbooks to to fit which obviously is a huge rework so much so big of a rework it's probably gonna be a second edition of the game but there we go um i think it would make potentially make turns more predictable um uh, because you can't you can't spike and get like three wraps, for example. I mean, I think I think actually this rule and test two will go together pretty well in terms of you could probably reliably predict the outcome of a, of a turn, which may be bad or good. But it could, I, I think it could potentially uh, result in less YOLO, I got 14 hits, I wrapped the world uh, results. Now that's a bad or good thing. It's up to, the, up to the person, really. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you have to, I think if you do this, you have to rebuild every basically pretty much every guild in the game's playbooks except for probably like morticians blacksmiths and alchemists maybe and i think so i think you lose i think a you end up with more on the card then because like you know spigot needs an eight long playbook well um, unless, unless you unless unless also, also change change tack values as well but yeah yeah you change, but you need some yeah, you know, some do, yeah. the other thing is also i guess with that is if you change it you you're always like the the cool thing about a wrap and the playbooks. Like the playbook system is the best thing about Guild Wars, and like yeah, and a good thing about the way the wraps work is you, like it. You know, the playbook does two things. It like equalizes out dice spikes. You know, so six sixes are still just six successes. Yeah. And that is so you don't have that like oh yeah now I you know you know critical hitted your you know most expensive unit or I killed your cast or whatever. But also, it means that nothing is ever wasted except by choice. So if you wrap, so when you wrap. You're you're getting to use all of your results, so you don't spike in the same. You're, like spikes aren't as dramatic, but you still get to use all of your results. Yeah, so your option breadth is increasing, have, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best one each time. Yeah, and also as soon as you have like an eight long playbook, say say every say the longest playbook in the game is eight, and you can't wrap. Someone at some point is going to roll like twelve hits for something, yeah, and then you're like, oh cool, now I have like I've wasted four hits. So there'll be that sense of like you're not playing with the fullness, you're not playing with the fullness of your sort of toys potential which you get at the moment. So yeah, so and also it changes the way momentum. It's not just changing playbooks; it changes the way momentum generation works massively for a lot of teams. Like so, you then would need to build in like Brewers' momentum generation comes from being the obvious example is the guild that are meant to wrap. Their momentum generation comes from wraps. Yeah, because then otherwise you have to do things like have like double momentous results and things, and that might get a bit fiddly and all that. And I also, so I don't see. I mean, part of me feels like some of these are. Um, so I can't, having been a consultant, like you go when you apply for something with a consultant, you put like a pitch in with three options in it, and basically what you're usually putting in is like two bad options and the one you want them to take. 
right? So, and, I, and I feel a bit like this is like this is like the bad one of the bad options to make you to make you because t- basically at best for me this changing this means you change a whole bunch of things in the guild in all the guilds to essentially make the game stay roughly the same. I think one thing about it is is that like, I, I, I'm kind of thinking think of it from from a game design point of view rather than a, the playing the game point of view that if you not that I actually know much about game design um, if you do this. The amount of bandwidth it will take up to change the game or the playbooks. Yeah. I mean, basically, you're redesigning the whole, get, redesigning the whole game, which probably means the game would be unbalanced significantly more than it already is. Yeah, it probably, yeah. It probably, so it basically would probably t- change one problem for another. I, I, and also, I don't, again, like, I don't see... I don't think it's a problem. I think, like, you know, I, like all of us have been new players, and I am not by any stretch. Like, you're good at sums. Like I'm not very good at maths, and like it wasn't hard for me to work I, out how raps worked. I've done. I mean, I've, I've I did demo demo games at three expos, so I ran I had one store at three expos. So I gave I've, I don't know how many demo games I've given out for Guild Ball, but I've given out quite a lot. And I don't remember anyone finding it hard to work out how they work. Yeah, I think I think I literally struggled a little bit with the playbook system when i first read the rules like blind you know i just picked yeah, up the blind yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then I, and then i played it i was like yeah this makes total sense so i don't but i don't think but that's more about how a playbook system works than a rap system as soon as you understand the playbook you understand the raps you know what i think it's hard it's hard harder for me to remember which one's dodge which one's push <laughs> yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. yeah 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 <laughs> that's way harder yeah, de- yeah definitely even <laughs> some experienced players some experienced players like uh it's always like oh yeah on, on pet decimate these are pushes <laughs> to me ages remember that ages, ages. Yeah. um but yeah okay so um i quite if you get your, your sort of your idea of the sort of the rose amongst the thorns idea in terms of having one good and two bad i think it's probably the best one of the lot uh, the next one Oh, the the ganging up, crowding out is capped at plus or negative one. Yeah, I think it prevents. I mean, again, this is a hot take for guys who played Guild for a while, so Steve's gonna tell me how wrong I am. Um, but it prevents probably huge scrums developing. Do you think? Mm. Are huge scrums bad? I guess. I mean, ganging, uh, being caged, being caged. I guess, I guess you still can get can get caged, can't you? I guess that's still gonna happen, isn't it? Hmm. I think. Yeah. I again. I think with a lot of these, like, and this is this is like a super boring comment, and I and I really don't mean to sound um, so negative about it. I, I guess I was asking Matt about this in the podcast. Anyways, he's like, "What's the problem that this solves?" Like, I'm trying to remember what does it actually give a reason for that. Um, so it's basically just about jailing. Is that the issue? Um, I think so it's you can, you can easier to work out the jailed. easier to work out the game state. Yeah. Um, which is is true i guess um it kind of but like is it that complex like, again is it harder to count to three than to count to i mean it is i guess it is literally it literally is it's true and i guess so i could see it from that sense it's definitely easier it's definitely easier when you start i guess at the same time i feel it feels like you lose quite a bit of depth on it and again it affects teams that like it affects teams that want to that are designed i guess you need a lot of redesigns again like this is another like let's redesign blacksmiths let's redesign brewers well, again you again for this rule redesign... you need to have like bonus attack for for crowding out if you're a certain guild like the plus two for going out or the plus one once you you need the rules in place if you're going to have that yeah or, or you're redesigning style. their playbooks in some way yeah. so so you know you, you could have this with brewers if you cut all their playbooks in half for example so you're aiming to like you know so spigot has a three or two long playbook like they still get the, but again it's like so I can see this. I think this, yeah, I think you're right. I think this has slightly more merit than the first one. I think it has. But I, um, but I, I but it feels like it's 
again, do, do you, do, does it feel like that is worth rebalancing a number of guilds, like mostly fighty guilds, admittedly, mostly fighty guilds. Also, it's a substantial buff to football guilds because actually, and football guilds are usually okay at escaping from getting jailed because they usually have viable dodges. I mean, but like, I don't hold, I don't hold any water to any argument that says that this is a buff to X guild because I think anything. Yeah, any of these changes would involve huge redesigns, so none of them but are buffs because they don't get broadly. Yeah, agree. You have to. So I guess with any of these, you're having to rebuild all of the guilds in some sense. But you I guess broadly, yeah. like, it's more work than it looks because it's not just that you have to redesign fighty guilds to work in some way without some of the tack bonuses they get. Yeah. It's also that it's also that like you know, tack five Midas pretty. If you know, so Midas tack six, he gets surrounded by a number of players. He's tack five. He pretty easy just push dodges his way out of that. Yeah, where, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. you actually those are models like Midas and Shark who could get disabled by that are actually empowered by it to a certain extent. So there's another balance issue in there, I guess. But I agree, this is simpler. For me, it gives up too much. It gives up some of the depth of play that you can have. Yeah. So basically, you're not a big fan of it. <laughs> I, I'm. You're going to detect a theme here. I'm sad to say. <laughs> like this, you're uh... normally you're normally so beat though. I'm usually the cheery one about this, yeah, and I think this has been one of the things with some of the stuff for the field test. I know definitely locally, like, like a lot of people, like, and it may be the timing of it with all the, you know, all the wider sort of COVID nineteen stuff going on, but a lot of this, I don't, I guess, and I, I was sort of asking Matt this when we spoke to him. I, I, I struggle to see the problem that any of these particularly are trying to solve, and especially if the problem is like. Guild Ball needs to... like so if The issue is Guild Ball is not attractive enough to new players, which I think is kind of the thing. They're not selling enough of it. And Matt basically said that, right? The sales are yeah. low. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but Guild Ball, when it started, when you and I started playing, it did sell. Like, And it was every bit as complicated as it is now. And it, and I get that it is a hard game for new players. I get that it is a, you know, it's got a learning curve. But it did still sell, and it sold to a level that SFG have, like Matt was saying, is the sort of sales level they'd like to have it at. So... It's a tricky thing to think about how that, like, and I guess that's the bit I'm struggling with a lot of these. It's not just like the nature of the changes, though. I feel like these are the ones they're suggesting here are less effective than, say, the changes that were put forward in the test that Bryce and Perkins put out last year. You know, with the momentum pass tokens. I mean, and... I'm not looking at these changes as potential like solid changes. I'm looking at, I think, it's, I think it's just challenging the core core concepts of the game to see what, see what's really, you know, um, see what is solid and what's not solid. And I guess yeah. if, if I mean, like 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 in a lot of things in science, you know, and um, if, if none of them work, that's still a result, isn't it? It is, but it's also like I guess the the difference is we're doing this in our free time, like, and everyone's doing that. Everyone's replying to this in their free time, and some people are loving it, and that's fair. But like a lot of people I know are just like have a sort of level of fatigue about this or a level of ennui about it that are that, and it's not that same as like we're existing like existing players hate everything or etc. Because they've embraced, I've seen local community embraced loads of other stuff i think they've just i think they've struggled with the rationale and they struggled with the quality of the proposals that they're being that are being put to them and that's maybe why i'm slightly down on these i I, i'd like there to have been i don't see them as particularly i guess like as helpful as some of the stuff that's been put forward previously is 
And I get that's like fine if you're having it as a conversation point, and maybe that's just where my headspace is around this at the moment. Like in general, this may, this could have been like the these could literally be the best ideas that there's ever been in Gilball, and maybe because of you know because of all the sort of other stuff doing the rounds, I'm not engaging with them as perhaps I would have done. But it feels like I, I guess it's sort of telling where I'm usually very enthusiastic about this stuff. Connor's usually really enthusiastic about it. Yeah, you know, Timmy over in Germany. Um, Nicholas Ledin in Sweden, like a lot of people I know who are usually like really engaged with stuff like this are just like, do you know what? Like almost, yeah, they're, they're, they're struggling with it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, number three. Now, Sorry, number detail. three. That was, that was a... <laughs> I thought number three at first, I thought it was a great idea. And then I read some of your posts and I thought, yeah, I didn't think it through. I was completely wrong. So I'll go through my point of view. Um, so I love this. I love this. I love describing how, how wrong I am because, you know. <laughs> You could be right. I could but be also, also, if the internet's taught me anything, most, most people don't do that. They, they'll argue their point forever um, and, and fight to the, the, the end. Um, so inference pool, the idea that your inference pool is rather than allocating at the beginning of the turn, your 12 influence, whatever it is, your two models. Um, the idea is that rather than doing that, you will basically have a free floating pool that you can distribute however you want to. And I thought, that's really cool because it's versatile, it's flexible, and obviously I'm a Mason's player, I like that sort of thing. Honor can do it. Um, you know, um, um, uh, Chisel can do it, that sort of thing. I, I like, I like that. It's kind of cool. Um, I thought well, that's that's really, that's really interesting. Having sort of tactical flexibility, um, so I thought it was quite nice. And then I read a post you put. I think it, you put it on on the Discord saying, yeah, but it means that everyone's gonna be so scared to engage because everyone's got a full clip potentially. It'll be standoff for the entire turn. To someone go loads on someone else. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a yeah. It's I. I was the same as you actually. When I first saw this, I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. Do you know what? And it was. I think it was Nate Horn, um, one of the American players. He was like, you know, he sort of did a very like, come back to me when you thought about this a little bit. And then, and I think, so I think when you're first playing and it's like new players playing new players, I think it's. I think it does actually work really well. It's really good idea, because yeah. Because you're sort of, you know, you always get to spend. You know, one of the things that new players worry about is getting to spend the influence. They worry about, you know, like I remember that when I was new, you know, you're like, oh, I want to spend the influence on this model. And then as you and the more you play, the more you're like, you know, you get you understand that risk relationship. But I think and with... as a new player, nothing's, nothing's bad worse than having a, a model with like a six stack getting taken out before they can use it. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. People hate it when especially when you're new as well, because you're sort of like part of it is you have all that influence on it because you want to learn what that model can do. And then it's dead. Yeah. So I could actually see this as like an alt rule. Like, if you had, like, a staged introduction to the game for new players, you know, so first, you know, you don't play with influence allocation until, say, stage five or, you know, so you have stage one, you just play with the front of the cards, you have no heroics, you have no legendaries, and maybe you can't even take players out, and you and you work up from that. But I think the, the tricky bit at, at a higher level is it's actually, at a tournament level, for example, that would be worse for a new player playing an experienced player because you have literally no idea what your opponent's models can do and you have literally no indicator of where, you know, so at the very least, if you've never gone, to, you know, you go to a tournament, you've never played against Hammer before and you see your opponent put half their influence on Hammer, you're like, okay, what does that do? That's, <laughs> that, that model's going to do something, right? Whereas, like, if, if there's no, like, wind-up, like, you can't see any wind-up for it. Like, you're just going to, and also, like, you know, newer players tend to want to spread influence around and they might like sprint stuff. You know, so basically all that will happen is they'll get slam dunked in like the second the last two activations of the first turn and then the start of the next turn. Yeah, and and you'll learn like unload ten influence into activations or whatever it is and then <laughs> destroy yeah, them. Oh you 
basically just sit there going, how can I spend the most influence as possible? And you think about Vet Greed plays like that. Like one of the reasons Vet Greed is hard to play against is because you don't know which model's going to activate again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that same discipline. So I think that is... So I think it's. I think what, I haven't heard the podcast yet, but someone was saying on Roll Better they said it sort of reorders the learning curve. So at the start, it's really help. It's kind of helpful at the start, but then it very quickly. But actually, it increases the inequality between experienced and inexperienced players. So if you're new and you're playing someone new, it's good. But if you're new and you're playing someone more experienced, it's actually kind of bad. Um, we we're talking about Infinity Code One off air uh, earlier on, and that's the new Infinity Pack, Corpus Belli's Pack, um, and. That's really interesting because basically they've effectively released a secondary rule set, which is the same game, but some of the rules have been removed and simplified. Yeah. And they've, 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 they've come out of saying that these are different rules. They're not much different, but they are different and they are simpler. And we would like people to maybe, if they like it, go on to the main game or not. And they've been, they've been very upfront about it. And I think this, as I said, could, could be a good rule for that or something yeah. like it. I think for something like that, it's great. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I'm. And I think I said this in the podcast as well. I think we chatted a bit about this as well. It's like, it feels like there's too much weight being put on the grand tournament, on the main tournament scenario. So they could work well as an alt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, last one. Uh, we'll say the last sort of formal one before the optional one at the end. Um, so put me back in, coach. Um, so when a model is taken out, they can immediately return to the pitch as if it was made in space. So basically, you don't lose an activation and you don't lose um, the influence, and you get kind of a free reposition. Mm. Uh, that seems to... Now, again, I'm not... I've been a for a while, but that seems to me mad. Like, I mean, would you want to take someone out? Who's, would you want to even take someone out who hasn't activated yet? I think, yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of... I think it... So that, that is an ability, obviously, that's in the game now, and there's a, there's a plot, uh, game plan card that allows you to do that. But only once, right? Yeah, only once. So I think it's, in a sense, it's you know, it's part of this sort of journey that's against jailing, which, you know, it's fair. A lot of people don't like jailing, and, it, and it's quite a reductive way to play, but it is undoubtedly effective. So making sure you retain activation parity is, is quite a good central... I can see the issue this is trying to fix, right? Is that basically... Like holding death, holding killing models over for a turn, and then gaining activation parity against them is very powerful. The the I think I saw a good suggestion by I think it was like David Cameron maybe saying that actually if the model could come back onto the pitch, but their activation like you know you can bring them back into the pitch in their activation. That's quite uh, nice. So that you don't get a double jog because my worry with this right is what seeing this what you do. The first thought I had when I saw this uh, was. Cool. So if I'm playing Scalpel, like turn one, Scalpel goes in, murders someone, scores a goal, gets me six points, and then someone like, you know, jails her and kills her at the top of the next turn. Well, either way, I'm putting six influence on her and Scalpel will then jog back onto the pitch with her seven inch jog and go and do the exact same thing again. That sounds fine. Yeah, so it feels like it feels like a it feels like if you can do that, then you then again what you need to do is design out like all super solo captains. And with that, I include like Shark and Mind. Anyone who can travel a really long way. That's quite a lot of captains. Yeah, they're just going to rinse and repeat that same process again and again. Um, whereas if they can only maybe move once, or you know, that that feels maybe a bit better because essentially what it's doing is rewarding you for getting a model. It inverts the jailing process. So at the moment, jailing punishes probably slightly too hard the person who is aggressive with their captain but what they, or with a model withers what this will do is reward you from massively overextending a model and getting it caught and killed because then they get to move twice in a turn yeah the idea of them come back in the activation is quite nice um, 
or come back with some degree of penalty, like a speed penalty or or something. Yeah, um, something uh, like that. I think they're not. I like... mean, this one's got some got some idea, got some. I think yes, yeah, merits to it, but it would need looking at further. I think. Mm. Um, not losing activation in the, in the, in the inference is nice. Um, yeah, but you, yeah, and you, I get, you... I get it's I get as you say, it's bad when you're six influence. I get it. Like, where it's bad when your six influence activation, six influence captain gets killed and you didn't see it coming. Like that, that is a, a feeling that people don't like. But also, like I don't know, like you know, we were talking about epic off air, like. You know, sometimes your Warlord Titan just gets critted and killed. Or, like, sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't realise that, I forgot that that Volcano Cannon was there, and now that unit's dead. Like, so I don't... And if you understand that, um, please listen soon to me and Steve's um, Kings of War epic podcast. Yeah, yeah, they're coming soon, coming <laughs> soon. All all the other games we started playing. <laughs> we joke, but... <laughs> yeah. but... But, you know, in any other game, sometimes you have your big fancy power unit, and you just misposition it, and it dies. Yeah. Or you make a mistake and it dies, or or your opponent gets lucky and it dies, and and is that a thing that should be removed from wargaming? I don't know. I mean, probably not. It's <laughs> a very existential question, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, goals being three VP. Um... <sighs> I don't. I again, like, I don't get what. I mean, okay. So weirdly, okay. I can, again, in terms of like redesign, I can see what this could fix, but it does involve redesigning every single football guild in the game. But essentially, like really grindy teams, uh, usually you know kill four players and then score score a goal to win. Yeah, and this changes the maths on that. But the trouble is, it also does it by much more nerfing all the football teams. And football teams, generally speaking, it, well, it, I mean, it looks the game's changed a lot in a year. In a year, it's not the, the first two goals that you want to stop; it's the third one, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't feel like the balance between fighting and football, in terms of like what wins events, is you know, or or like what is what can play against what is is out of sync. It feels like both options are viable and teams that are are viable in all of those options. So again. I'm not quite sure. Let me just check the window. Uh, let's see. Yeah. No, it feels like... I mean, the fact that they even put optional on it feels like... <laughs> let's just let that one slide off, I think. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see what that does without, again, fundamentally redesigning almost every part of the game. I think part... I mean, looking at the game changes over the past sort of four years or so, I mean, I, mem- I remember when, like, you know, Mist had, like, the best goal range and threat range, and... Or thereabouts, and the the goal for ranges the models have been gradually increasing more and more and more. Uh, I don't think the VP's issue. I think the issue is how you treat goal scoring teams. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think the, thing, the, the points scored is a problem itself. Yeah, it changes the whole mass of the game quite significantly, and you probably just do more punching, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. I think you ultimately still end up fighting unless you, unless you rebalance all the football teams. So what you could do if you want if this wants to work to keep balance but like make that four one game play less is you have to basically buff all football teams. Yeah, make them way better at ball retrieval. Yeah, you um, make them just all better and then and then you keep all the fighting teams the same. If if that's the issue it's trying to solve, I don't know if it is. But then so fighting I think... teams can't then score their, their their goal to win, can they? So they probably have to just kill a mascot or something it just but it yeah. just makes that equation up but i don't i don't feel like that balance is actually bad at the moment and i think it's worth saying uh, before anyone's like wow this is just a lot of like <laughs> sort of, um li- listening to the if you listen to the rest of the podcast actually it's really interesting because what uh we talk about a lot is like what are the changes that people want and what do people see as being the biggest issues in the game and what do different countries and different metas see as being the biggest issues in the game and so it's it's a lot more conceptual than this like this list that we've got in front of us, and maybe that's 
that's half the problem is when you do like a big let's get feedback from all of the community like i think you know some other people had really good suggestions in those recordings and they you know don't seem to have appeared there which is fair that's our fault for not publishing them before matt put this out but like <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting to hear what other ideas people might have and i think i mean i think an important thing also is remember this is this should be a conversation and I don't think I think some people are treating it as a shouting match and as a way to vent their spleens or just rant and rave, and that doesn't really serve a purpose. Like if you can get, put your point forward without typing in caps or giving long untested rants about how the sky is falling in, if you start being talking about it in absolute terms, people aren't going to listen to you. I think no. it's important to, to to if you've got a, comp, a problem, discuss it in a balanced way and, and realise these are just ideas that are going to be thrown at the wall and probably won't stick. That, that, I think that's part of the process, isn't it? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think um, I think you're more equanimous about it than I am for a change. Uh, <laughs> so, but um, I, I guess, and that's why I wanted to have, you know, why I thought we thought it was a good idea to have this conversation like on air. Like I, I am not super pro these, but I have reasons for them, and people may totally disagree with me, and that's completely their right. Like, uh, but um, I guess one of the things I is. The time and space that ones that people give to like their hobby and thinking about the future of their hobby is sort of quite a an important you know an important thing for them to some extent and like yeah is that is this the best use of people's like hobby time at not the most fun time in people's lives as well uh, <laughs> well <laughs> yeah I know that's a bigger picture question that's a bigger question <laughs> but... in another another news I'm currently printing out an epic army and. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've just bought Infinity Code. Well, no, not Infinity Code One. I bought some Infinity stuff. Uh, you've been baiting. Who, 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 who do you buy? Who do you buy? Uh, I bought um, Hack. Is it Hack? Did you buy the Did you buy the Giant Scorpion of Death? I haven't seen that yet. No, I bought the basic. I bought the basic. So there's a sort of box it. six. Um, um, I'll send you a picture of it now, um, and as soon as you see it, you'll you'll buy it immediately. I went through a rigorous selection process for it of going, that looks cool, I'll have them. Like, so, so... there's things called tags in Infinity, which I'm pretty sure actually they're not very good. Like, I'm, cause no, but they, they are basically big robots. Because obviously it's in the future, therefore we'll have, we'll have big robots. And if I, how do I send you on the chat? Hang on, this is where, this is the fun part where Andrew Quality Trump, radio content, quality radio content. This is here, yeah, quality radio content of Steve reacting to a picture I'm showing him. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait in here. Like, I'll try and make sure the reaction is, uh, is everything he wants to be. My God, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Is that, that, cool? that is quite cool. Yeah, there's so it's some sort of big crab tank. So basically, most cool. most races have like um effectively you know walking a walking suit of armor like a robot. Um, but the the, the hacker slam have got a giant death scorpion. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think we should save pretty this cool. chat for our next. Um, we're going to do another warning in advance uh, as you're about to go into another hour and a half of Guild Ball chat from this. Um. You know, in advance, our next podcast will not talk about Guild Ball, or very, very little talking about Guild Ball will be had on it. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about stuff and games and things, and probably do bonus content on that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and there we go, really. Um, please, um, if you have any suggestions or comments about, or, or points of view where, where, why we're wrong, please tell us. Um, yeah, definitely. Tell me why I'm completely wrong. Like, I'd, I'd love this to be the best thing that's ever happened to Guild Ball. Like, I'd and I, I, that sounds sarcastic, but I genuinely would. <laughs> um, so. I, I do, I do, in some ways, agree with what Matt said. Like saying no doesn't really help. Um, uh, but, but approaching things and saying, okay, well, uh, trying to be productive about things. I think what I'm trying to say it's is good. because gubs can be very negative. 
yeah, and I think well, all online forums can be negative. I, I, I would tend to agree with Matt on that. I also think then if you're putting the stuff out that is going to be reacted to, there is a duty of care around the quality of the thinking that goes into that and the clarity of the thinking that goes into that, and especially when it is community engagement stuff. Um, you know, ask specific questions. You'll get really good answers. Like we've found that when we've asked for stuff about the podcasts. The more specific you are, the better the answers you get. Yeah. And the less... The less tension you get between people true that okay mm. um on that um i'll say goodbye um and the mm. next you got you got an hour and a half of steve talking to some europeans next uh, these guys are there and, and these are this is good so please stay listening people people have really in terms of constructive Fairness. thoughts and Sorry. interesting background they are yeah very <laughs> in, yeah very good very good uh i just asked some questions uh bye Okay, uh, welcome back, listener. This is the Gilball Field Test Community Reaction Podcast Part 2. Uh, through the miracle of technology, we are now transported forward in time, almost almost 12 hours. Uh, and we now have representatives uh, from uh, England in the form of Dave Margitson. Say hi, Dave. Hello. And from the Netherlands, uh, in the form of, and apologies for this pronunciation, uh, Niels Hermkins, otherwise known as the Inspiring Hat. It was perfect, my mate. Hello. Well, I was pleased. Yes, so thank you both for joining us. Um, as you, uh, the listener, know, we are basically talking to people from across Europe about their reaction to the Gilball Field Test, which I think has provided quite some talking points in, <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. I just before we crack into that, and I guess what we did with uh, Robin and Edek earlier, is do you guys want to just talk a little bit about about your background, sort of, uh, you know, how you got into Guildball, how you got into war games, and I guess sort of where you're based and how big your local community is. Um, so let's uh, first of all go to Dave. Cool. So I only got into Guildball about a year and a half ago. And previously to that, I played, I think, about 10 years of War Machine. Um, so it was basically uh, my brother Steve and Michael Kimber had moved to Guild Ball like, a couple of years before me. And then I just got exhausted by War Machine, so just moved over. Um, then in terms of my local community, so I'm living in Manchester, so... The my local community is basically the sort of Steamforge dev team for the most part, um, and just a few other people. Um, I'd say there's about eight of us. Like sometimes we have less, sometimes we have more. It really depends on what people are doing. Um, and yeah, I think that's. And and it's probably fair to say I think your your local community. For those of you who don't know the UK meta particularly well, that that Manchester community is probably the strongest, like in terms of player strength, Gilbo scene in the country, because you're talking sort of you know as you say like Fraser, Bryce, Perkins, Steve, like uh, not the Steve, uh, your brother Steve Marguson. So it's a strong scene to play in, isn't it? it? Must be quite a jump to get into that scene. Yeah, you don't get any nice easy games. They're all quite tough. <laughs> And then Niels, by contrast, like I know the Netherlands scene's been around a while, but listening to your your brand new excellent podcast, um, uh, which I think you should definitely talk a little bit about uh, now, um, you you were saying the Netherlands scene has is 
you know, has grown quite a lot, but is maybe not the most, like, it's not the most high tier sort of competitive scene yet. No, for sure it isn't. Um, basically, the, uh, the the community, like uh, me and myself at this moment, we have a group of friends of uh, six people that comes together every week, or rather game together because of COVID and stuff. Um, and we just play games and uh, basically... Um, uh, at the start, it was basically just digi- uh, digital games or um, board games. And uh, at the time, uh, around I think midway of season two, friend of my, uh, like a friend of mine, uh, Leon, was getting uh, was constantly trying to get us to play Warhammer Fantasy, just get us into war gaming. Uh, but we weren't like, uh, okay, then we need to spend hundreds of euros on models, and that didn't really interest us. So. Um, he was he went looking for other war games and then he found Guild Ball and it basically caught on immediately because the rule set was super tight, clean, and we had virtually no financial costs because everything was available to download. Um which was awesome. Um so th- th- our group of six is uh, we were quite competitive. I would say that um our group of six would be in the is still considered to be in the best i think 30 40 percent of um the total netherlands competitive area um but if we're looking at the rest of uh, the netherlands it's i feel slowly growing um i would say like it was a big win at the dutch nationals that we actually got if i'm correct um 12 or 13 Dutch players there, um, which was an actual win because we were actually uh, having trouble getting even more than 10 players on a tournament. Uh, We always needed Belgians or Germans to fill up our tournaments. Um, so the, the nice easy to easy game easy games if you fell up with Germans I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it was like uh, we first asked the Belgians because yeah. that was a bit more of our level, and then if we really need uh, these people, <laughs> then we go ask the Germans. But we really didn't want to because that, <laughs> that would mean another German won a Dutch tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, I guess it's interesting you've grown your scene. Then how what? What has helped with that? Because obviously you're saying that having the Nationals event helped you to grow your scene? Um, Well, basically, of course, um, I feel that um, uh, me starting the Inspiring Hat has really helped because now people have someone to to contact if they have questions or if they like, they have a point of, um, yeah, they have someone to, to go to. Um, and via the inspiring hat, I've also constantly been um, uh, working together with the owner of uh, this web shop uh, uh, for like TG, uh, t- uh, trading card games, uh, war gaming. Um, I've been constantly working together with him. So every time he goes to a gaming or war gaming conference, I am also there and I'm giving demos for Steamforce games. Um, so Guild Ball. Uh, lately also got here and might also start doing some Dark Souls or Resident Evil. Um, Resident Evil uh, Resident Evil 3 coming out, you know, so that's all these things. 
Uh, I'm just trying to really new blood that way while also just keeping tabs on the uh, already like competitive uh, players that I know of, uh, basically through WhatsApp, through Facebook, just, hello, are you still playing? Uh, basically, I think it was two weeks before the Dutch Nationals, I actually went to a new player's home to basically talk tactics and huh. keep him interested. And basically, he and his brother came to the uh, tournament because of that, I think. And so, so you, I, do you mind if I ask Niels, are you, are you a champion? I, I can't remember if you'd... Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Sorry. <laughs> so, oh, of course, because you guys are in the same boat as us, aren't you? The Netherlands has no champions and uh, the south of England has none either. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, oh, no, there's one. I think there's Peter Farrell. But yeah, London has none. Uh, and we are about the same population as you guys. <laughs> okay. But, well, so, but that, like, so, it's, so for is, you, oh, it was sorry. about the engagement with the community, the sort of hands-on stuff, and then, and the sort of, and then, the also sort of a, a buy-in cost, right? You don't have to buy a 40k army. You can, you can, you know, reasonably yeah. get a guild ball. That helps. That helps a lot. Euro. Okay. And so I guess moving on to like the field test, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll come to you first, Dave. I think. Uh, what what what's your overall view of the field test? And um, you know, has it made you more excited about the future guild ball? Is it? You know, what what's your immediate reactions to it? So, I think initially it was confusion as most people was because the goal of it doesn't seem that clear um i think there are there are things that are worth looking at um and i think that might have been it was maybe just a bit too blanket at the start but i think hopefully we'll get a bit more a bit more sort of flavor of what we're looking to do later um but yeah i think so that was the main thing and it it I was definitely put off for a little bit just because I was sort I was seeing all these things and the main thing I see is when you see a lot of ideas thrown around you see a lot of good stuff but you also see a lot of bad stuff and like so I think when you see the bad stuff and like I had a lot of experience with CID in War Machine and I as I was fairly decent player at that and I remember me and um, I always remember there was one CID where... Sorry, Dave, we, can you just clarify, just some people might not know what CID is? Oh, so it's Community Integrated Development. So they basically said, okay, sign up to this forums, here's the next set of rules, and test them and give feedback on them. So it's, in a way, I think it's quite similar to what they're looking to do with the field test. Yeah. And what I was finding was there was a lot of people on that forum who could type very well and give very good arguments for things. And it you could read it and be like, oh, I see a lot of points behind that. But it would actually be quite negative because when you look at it a bit deeper, you're like, you got to that conclusion because you made this decision. And then basically what happened was there was a lot of stuff that came out quite overpowered okay um so there's definitely aspects of that and i think that's where a lot of my worry is that i think when you give certain people like rule sets like a lot of people are gonna have different experiences with them and obviously the top end players will say we'll test it and have their experience and then you'll have the 
mid-level who will have a different experience and then the sort of lower end that will have a different experience and it's it's where you want to pitch it is the hardest thing i think but yeah yeah yeah, it's really interesting niels what do you what do you think about that well i i think i'll have to agree with basically uh like me uh and uh, Huggy and Bartek from uh, the Unexpected Arrival podcast. Shameless plug. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do a big, we'll do a big grandiose plug for at the start. But everyone, uh, if, you, if you're already bored and you can't get to the end, uh, Niels' Unexpected Arrival podcast has just launched. It has representation from uh, the Netherlands, Belgium and Poland. And it is an excellent listen. I listened to it on my run yesterday uh, and was was upset to find that they'd covered in uh, great depth and interest as some of the topics we were covering at the moment. So that's uh, our time as the only podcast is over. So uh, we'll, we'll... Ah, that's not like, true, my friend. No, guys are, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great podcast, a great listen. So everyone should check it out. And it's uh, to be honest, it was really good to hear a podcast from Europe. Because I think yeah, that was the, the Anglo uh, kind of dominated the podcast scene a bit, hasn't it? That was actually the main reason we started it. We were like, okay, we are going to do a European mainland podcast, basically, because all the other podcasts are either UK or USA uh, or Australia. Sorry, yeah. Double Dodge. <laughs> and Beardpod now, I guess, is kind of Australia if he keeps recording. Yeah, I, th- I, I would say that's 50 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> basically, he still has Connor and. Um, Oh uh, shit! Panzer, uh, yeah. What's his name? Yeah, Panzer. Yeah, Panzer. Yeah, um, those are still living in England. So it's fifty. Uh, actually, one third Australian, two third England. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah, podcast of the world. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So but we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the podcast at the end. I think. But so so yeah. So they. Yeah, so go- going back to the field test, of course. Um, honestly, um, I myself have not been that induced, uh, enthused about the field test. Of course, like the latest couple of posts from Matt have been illuminating in terms of what are the main reasons we are doing this. Um, but for me, the main problem lies in, or and I guess for a load of uh, um, lots of players, is what will this mean for the game of Guild Ball, right? Uh, which is a question that no one actually really seems to want to answer from Steamforge side. Um, so as we as we've mentioned uh, in the podcast, it seems that this field test is mainly based on reeling in new players, making it less fertile to get in the game, which I'm actually fine with. Um, but yeah, like uh, like Dave said, I'd like to know how they're going to test this. So if they Go uh, get um, if they put out rules for us to test. Where does the feedback come from? Um, how are you collecting it? Um, how will you decide what types of feedback are useful and which aren't? So there are just a lot of unknowns at the moment, and I'm not a fan of being kept in the dark. I guess. Yeah, I mean, what problem do you guys? What do you? What problem do you think SFG are actually trying to solve with the field test? Do you think it is just like new player recruitment, or do you think there's an actual another issue in the game? Uh, I'll. So I think that it, to some extent they're trying to make it more beginner friendly, which I think is very positive, and I think that is something that I it need. I think it needs to happen, and I think there's also ways you can do that with even without making rules changes, just making like 
everything more accessible and making like it really clear that so if someone googles guild ball they see here's guild ball like here's what a starter set is um or even if it just says oh here's a you want to play the alchemist guild right start with this box like this box will um this six models will get you going for quite a while i think just things like that and in term because in terms of the rule set i actually think the biggest imbalance in the game is actually fighting team versus fighting team because it the kick received just becomes such a huge thing that the game is becomes more about waiting for mistakes rather than um sort of engaging and having fun almost that's interesting um, um yeah whereas i think it's why i've like completely switched to a football team now because if i play a football team against any other guild i really enjoy it like it's almost like sort of problem solving and it feels really skirmishy and it's just a lot of fun for me uh, yeah because i think yeah i think that that is definitely I was trying to think Steve Easton about the Blacksmiths Union matchup, and we were both sort of saying like, "Yeah, you really want either team wants to receive there, like in a big way." So I think that's that's a really interesting point that the sort of ball control. I mean, I guess you, you saying Dave, you were a relatively new player, so I guess what what would have made your um, entry into the game easier? Because you obviously you you joined in quite a tough tough matter as well because your your locals originally were you know michael coombe british champion and, and your brother who is a designer at sfg so it's a yeah and he's a very good player so so i guess what what do you think the barriers to entry were for you yeah so for me the reason i picked guild ball as a game is because i like skillful games and i enjoy learning curves like it's why i play a lot of the games i play i i'm not a huge fan of like overly random and like beer and pretzels games they're sort of things that sort of i can play occasionally but i don't want to invest a lot of time in yeah um so when i started i was just i think i was on a fairly good footing because some of the comparisons from war machine were okay so i picked it up fairly quick but i do remember vividly there was one when i used to live in um, in London and I played a game at Cross Games Club there was a moment where I lost a game 12-0 and both me and my opponent weren't the best players and we both looked at the game afterwards and we're like we're not good at this to figure out how you lost it that bad we don't really know what happened there Okay. so the only way I actually got better was actually by playing um, I I went to visit my brother like we did a couple of games we did games where every single activation we talked through our intentions and why we were doing certain things and that was just really eye-opening and that helped a lot um and it's when you say it out loud you'll start to think about it a lot more like you you'll move a model and you'll say oh I've moved it there because I'm looking to create a bit of pressure there and it doesn't give too much away from the game, but it's very useful because then you start to see the finesse of each activation. So it's almost like when you're learning to drive, right? And you and you have to, and you know, some driving instructors will, will talk. You will talk aloud about what you're doing. I'm going to yeah. press the brake down because this car's coming out over here and that sort of thing. What what would have helped with that then? I guess if you weren't in the lucky position where you have 
you know, say you've played that 12 all game um, and you don't have your brother to go and chat to and there aren't other people. What what would have helped you as a new player, do you think? Like, I guess what, what changes could have been made that would help with that? So I think to start with, if there was, say, Steamforge put out tactical videos. So at that point when I struggled, I didn't understand activation control and the back and forth activations and trying to sort of get your foot in and pick the right moments to engage and they're all something i don't think you can remove from the game and i don't know if there's that much rule set you can do to change but if you just did like like say a series of like say a couple of they probably only need to be five minute videos that just explain each part of the game like that yeah because then i could look at it and see because what actually happened a lot in that game was I was setting up for something and I was either getting denied it because they would straight away see it and I was being too telegraphed um, and I didn't have any follow-up. Whereas a lot of the time when you play Guildborn now, you're like, you you can straight... I can pick up how long I can wait before I need to do something. Sure. I'm always looking and... If I've got a fully stacked player and there's only one person left in range, I'm like, if I don't do something with them now, I might lose that opportunity. Whereas before, I was looking to stack up all my buffs and then I'd lose the opportunity and I'd be like, oh. And yeah, so it's. I think it's really a, lot can, a lot can be done with just information based. Like if people can just have somewhere that's official to look. Uh, Niels, how does that? Because you've obviously you're saying you've had sort of new play, you've gone around to new players' houses and talking through the games and things like that. How does that compare from you? I guess being on the other side of that as being the sort of the more experienced player coaching new players through it. Does that does that sound familiar? And would would you think the same thing, or do you think something different should be done? Well, I, I was listening to Dave, and I was like, oh wait, this is actually a really good idea because uh, my act, my idea was actually. Um, Basically, you know how Matt is always comparing Guildball to video games, especially a MOBA, right? Um, uh, what is a MOBA? Just for, for the oh, ignorant yeah. and elderly MOBA amongst is... us. <laughs> <laughs> like me, basically. So a MOBA is basically a game like uh, League of Legends, uh, arena-type game, 5v5. Uh, both teams have towers, nexuses. You need to fight each other. Uh, the, one, uh, the team that kills the nexus of the other team wins. Just in a nutshell. Um, but basically, um, to get back to my original um, uh, example, so what is it that every video game has? A tutorial. So this fits in with Dave, uh, Dave's idea about videos, uh, like tactics videos, but also um, if they are going to use this field test for something, uh, why not make a kind of simplification of the current rule set as a sort of tutorial into Guild Ball, like let's say Guild Ball Lite, for um, newer players to just get into the game, get a real good grasp of the um, the core rules and the actual like the um, uh, mechanics of the game. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is quite similar, isn't it? And and Dave, I think you've said before you you have some concerns about the read across from MOBAs into Guild Ball because I know Matt's talked a lot about that in his 
I can't remember if it's a blog post or his Facebook post, but but where do you see that as being a relevant read across and, and what issues do you have with it? So the the areas that I think are so MOBAs and Guild Ball, they've both got quite a huge learning curve for new players, and I'd say MOBAs it's even higher. Um I play Dota too and I was actually um prior to this I was Googling like how long does it take to get um like to a like fairly decent standard and they were saying oh about a hundred games which a hundred games of um Dota like they're forty minute games if you really pushed it out you could probably get that in in a month but say if you wanted a hundred games of Guild Ball like that could be a year or more for certain people yeah I mean, you, you, like, yeah. you, like you're saying, uh, you know, London's quite an active scene. We play twice a week and we play tournaments. So yeah. you're probably, you know, at a push eight months. Yeah. And... At a real push. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, uh, if you're one of the very active players. Whereas, yeah, I guess because you're playing online, is that right? You, you know, with, with a mobile yeah. you're playing. So you can just spend the whole, you know, if you don't have big commitments, you can spend the whole of Sunday playing it every week, can you? Yeah. And because mm-hmm. you can just play with random people, I can just queue up for some games do them at random times and you just sort of learn from doing that like um and also just in the fact that you can play against bots like i can't oh, set okay. up a bot for guild ball and say oh um just play me a fish team and i'll play against a bot fish team and just try learn that way yeah i mean you could make the mistake and make it alex bots but i, I think he's, got, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got school to go to hasn't he um yeah. so i guess is is that um because I think the way Matt was talking about it was wanting to have like those MOBAs have bigger meta shifts and bigger rule shifts, is that right? Or more regular big rule shifts? Yeah, then... so so for Dota two again, that's the one I play. I know he plays League of Legends. They normally do big changes after their international. Um, right. so I think it was just after the international this year. It might have been or it might have even been before, but it's around that period. They did big changes to their map, um, and they do a lot of changes. But again, it comes down to the amount of games you can play, because I think I think Matt said in his post that he plays about an hour and a half a day, which probably references... That's about two games a day. Yeah, that's two games. Which is... So say that's... Um, say he only does five days a week rather than seven that's like 10 games a week that's like for most people that's five weeks of guild ball yeah Mm -hmm. so so if if you make big sweeping changes most like say my favorite hero i play him and they make a huge change to him i can just say right i'm gonna play him all weekend and by the end of weekend i'll probably have a good idea of where he is Whereas if they made a big sweeping change in Guild Ball, it could be quite a while and even longer for newer players to sort of get to grips with the changes. And then also, I guess you need a scene where people have the models, right? Because, I mean, the thing I've always found playing your guys up in Manchester is, A, you're all very good players, but B, just the way it's played out is, like, London doesn't have a lot of farmers and morticians players. So yeah, yeah so, and and miners as well. To be honest, so so the last few times I played, uh, you know, Perkins, Bryce, and Fraser, they've absolutely smashed me. 
Um, and obviously, it's because they're good, but it's also and every t- and those are the games I've gone away from going. Okay, that's what Scalpel does. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like you you can know it a bit. You can watch a YouTube video and you can play with someone who's, you know, maybe uh, you know, try has the models or something, but isn't really a regular player. So I guess that's the other limitation, isn't it? Is you can, you you with video games, you can come, you can deliberately, like you say, you could seek out games against really yeah. good Scalpel players. But you can't really do that in Guild Ball unless you have one locally. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I guess, so one of the interesting things with that, I guess, is so, so do you guys, I'm getting the impression, what what do you think of the core rules then? Do you, do you think the core rules are up for discussion as part of this? You know, if you, if you were running the field test, would you would you be saying that the core rules need to be changed? We've talked a lot about like pathways into the games and support for new players. Um, what do you think of the core mechanics of the game? Because that's one of the dividing points on it, isn't it? There's the sort of core mechanics and then the sort of secondary mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, actually, if I look at the core mechanics themselves, I actually think there are no problems. It's tight, it's clear. Basically, the only thing that I would say is we now have 18 guilds with um, 200 plus models. So it's quite a challenge to just play a game and um, basically uh, you need to know so many rules Um, so I would say that it's not the rule set itself it's like just the amount of information that's coming at a newer player that is that might be uh, a problem Um, but the the core rules of this game nah balance level is fine as well sure there are some outliers like you know minks cast uh, stuff like that but for every positive outlier, there's a negative outlier. So this means that there's a kind of a semblance of balance. Um, do I want to see all guilds around the 50% win rate mark? No. It's that, for me, is not something that could be achieved. Um, and I kind of like the game being in a state of constant flux. Just keeps it fresh and exciting. Um, so going back to that original question, does anybody, anything need to change about the rule set for me? Not really. Maybe minor changes, but not much. Yeah. Dave, what what do you think? Core rules? Would you would you make any changes to them? So the only core rule that I think that I would change, which it doesn't need to, but I think it is sort of becoming a problem in the game, is again activation control. And this sort of comes into the I I've played games against newer players where I I've received, I've got the ball, I've got out of the threat range of everything on the first turn, I've given them first turn, and they've not really known what to do, then I've taken last activation, first activation, and then just continue to do that for the rest of the game. Yeah, so so that so what you mean is more like the things like the the pass tokens that yeah, we talked like, about, that sort yeah. of thing. Because I think that became a bigger issue with the introduction of the game plan cards, didn't it? Because you could, because you could guarantee going first. Yeah. Whereas before, when that was a randomised element, you you know you, you were like, oh, I could jail this model, but I you know if I roll like a two on the roll, you know that sort of, it would yeah. sometimes go very very wrong. Yeah, um, I think that's where. So, I think past to because the more I thought about it, and I was like, I think. Pass tokens, I think, are the best solution you can put in the game with 
minimal change because yeah. I, I've even spoke to people about doing the put me back in coach sort of on all players but I think that causes a lot of issues that you would then have to resolve with threat ranges etc mm-hmm. yeah, yeah some some players with yeah put me, put me back in there on all players could be uh, yeah and uh, like the idea of hammer with put me back in there <laughs> yeah. or something like that you know yeah, um, like you would need to add negatives to it and then you'd have to heavily test the negatives where i think as a you could definitely just say for now pass tokens but then i also think that that can cause issues with learning the game um but equally it might cause people to ask questions because as i said when i was learning it I had no concept of activation control. So if someone said, oh, there's pass tokens, I'd say, well, what's the point of them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some of that you just have to learn. Because it's interesting, is that I guess one of the things I found when I came to Guild Ball from, uh, from Epic was because Epic, you, you, it has the same alternating activation system. Um, you know, but, you, but you don't have the same number of activations in a list. So and you know so an epic like you to traditionally have uh, like a you know an elite kind of army like a space marine army will have twelve to fourteen activations per turn, um, and then a sort of a more chunky like orcs or something like that will maybe have ten you know but bigger units. But what generally happens is the units in the high activation armies are more fragile. So you'll start out where, say, an army like Marines has activation advantages. You know, it knows it's going last, that sort of thing, because it has more activations. And gradually throughout the game, those will get ground down because the units are less durable. So you'd usually expect to see it swing or equalize like across the game. So I had a... Obviously, you can't bring a mechanic like that into Guild Ball without making really fundamental changes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so having... And that actually the idea... And I think the balanced number of activations is a is actually a very core mechanic to the game isn't it it's a very even and equitable thing so i think having the the pass tokens fills that space without otherwise the wise need the wise need the wise need to need to fundamentally restructure the game in some way you know if you if you made a team you know hypothetically if you made a team that was basically immune to takeouts uh you you could sort of deal with that in some way but then as you say you create a whole load of other balance problems mm-hmm. um so I guess in terms of talking about changes, like what, because um, we just had quite a big change with the 4.3 uh, errata. What do you guys think of 4.3 as a rule set, you know, in terms of, yeah, and, or in terms of a sort of, uh, I guess in terms of playability and access and balance and those sort of things? So 4.3, I've actually enjoyed, like since I, actually since the start of season four, I've actually enjoyed being able to just lock fists with the opponent at turn one. Mm. Um, uh, but I I have not grown fond of um, people just being able to basically one round models with just meager amounts of setup. Um, so, and I think that also uh, is something that newer pay, uh, uh, people uh, newer players struggle with a lot because they just put six influence on their big captain. They're like, okay, I'm going to use this and I'm going to have fun with him. And then your op- and then the opponent just um, throws veteran boar at him, and he's dead. Um, like experienced players will see that happen, but newer players won't. 
so I think the amount of damage a single model can put out nowadays, it's, it's just been increasing, increasing, and the threat ranges have been increasing and increasing. Uh, defenses haven't been keeping up. Um, I would say 4.3, if I look at it, 4.3 is good um, balance-wise. It's not as good as 4.1, uh, like pre-miners, veteran Bor Corbelli. Um, but still, I think it's a pretty good game state. There are some outliers, but I feel that there are no real teams that uh, basically have um, a, if you play this, you win, you will win tournaments with relative ease if you have the decent enough skill set, which was a problem in, I f which I feel was a problem in uh, like 4.0, uh, 4.2, uh, and part of 4.1 with miners, uh, Boar and Corbelli. And blacksmiths. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget yeah, the 4.1. They were, yeah. they were pretty good. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I totally forgot about those. Um, but ideally, I think I would like to see a version of the game that is somewhere in between the end of season three and like season four. So I would actually like the threat ranges to stay, but the damage to be toned down. So it becomes a bit more of a grind, but you are able to just lock fists at turn one and start it like that um start the game at the start and not at turn two so you're sort of you'd be looking to get in do some damage generate momentum rather than say at the moment you're often looking to get in and just kill a player yeah and like those massive amounts of damage also means that it's easier to just put uh, like get and generate that uh, amount of momentum and leave someone at one hp at yeah. the end of a turn so if that is reduced and then the uh, opponent opponent's model is not at one but at like eight or ten that's way more manageable there's a margin for error right there what, what do you think one... of that dave so i it could be interesting but i think at the same time like maybe threat ranges could stay the same but you also need to weaken football because yeah. I, I find, like, when I'm playing at the moment, like, this is what I find most odd about the field test, is lots of people are saying, oh, um, all these buffs for football. And I'm like, I think football teams, other than goals being binary and that sort of a problem, I don't, I think they're pro in such a good spot. Like, um, I'm playing fish at the moment and I'm just not struggling to get goals my opponent is struggling to kill my players faster than I get goals. Yeah, I think so, I think you've, mm -hmm. you've touched on something. I think you'd need to bring, as, as someone who plays both fighting teams and football teams, I, you know, I, I can, yeah, when you were saying, Neil's about the damage going down, I was sort of thinking, well, this this is good news for Midas. You know, because, yeah, <laughs> so, so, you, so you, I guess you, it's, it's more, I guess, the, I think the threat ranges are good. I think being able to engage with multiple models on turn one is is good. I wouldn't like it to go necessarily much further than now because what you don't want is like like I don't like festivals design space particularly because mm. I think Connor summed it up quite well where it's like turn one is a really interesting turn and when turn one just becomes I jam my whole team in your face <laughs> you know you sort of lose some of and it's basically like festival very much has a like I jam my whole team in your face do you have something that can deal with it? Yes or no. Yeah. So, you know, so if you jam festival team in the face of a team with Soma or hammer or something like that, you're like, well, that's fine. 
I'm just going to go and take out a couple of your models. But but we, so it doesn't have the same sort of back and forth and the sort of push and pull. But I think you're right. I think you would need to. It's more about the actual ability to score points, almost, isn't it? Like you need to just reduce slightly the. If you reduce damage, you need need to reduce the goals output. But I, I do agree with you, mm, Dave. I, yeah. I personally haven't found. Um, you know, oh, good, I'm playing football teams. They're not very strong at the moment. Um, yeah, and there's thing like you said, it's bad for new players because, and I think that's where it's difficult. Like, um, I played a game on Vassal. I think it was Sunday, and I left Fathom full health in front of Herder, and Herder just walked up because I was within an eight and just killed a fully stacked Fathom. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, of course she can do that because six attacks, two damage on one, like, that's fine. But then, so then later I learned from that because there was a point where he got um, a player to 12 health who was a 4-1 player, so I had 14. So I was like, right, my next activation, because I don't want it to be that player yet, is healing them to make sure they're not just going to die effortlessly. And I, those are the sort of things where it's like, it, the game is in a good balance point at the moment. And I think to shift down all the damage, you sort of throw all the balance off. I think it's really hard to do. Yeah. But I think the, the stretch from 4.0 to 4.3 sort of shows how long it's taken. Mm, yeah, and I I think if you try switch it back now, we're looking at sort of that length of time again, where everything everything needs to be readjusted, and that's not to say that that's something that shouldn't be done, but I think it, if you decide to do it, you do need to fully commit to it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, and I guess you could do it in various ways, couldn't you? You you could put three HP on every model in the game, and that yeah. in a sense would do it. But then, like you say, then you're then it puts the swing very much in the favor of goal scoring teams and i think i i think sort of in in sort of mo for most of season four one of the reasons blacksmiths were good right is because they are pumped up defensive stats basically allowed them to play like a season three fighting team mm -hmm. yeah you know they could play a much slower more deliberative grindy scrummy game you know that sort of game you'd often see like union play in season three um and it's actually only with um some of their damage output dropping, but also the football teams getting improved got round that to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess sort of uh, moving on from that bit, I think I think we seem to have, the sort of point of consensus. I guess that there are the core rules are good. There's definitely a need for a, a repackaging, uh, a sort of you know much clearer information points, much clearer tutorials, much clearer access into it. I mean, I also wonder if I was saying this to the other guys, so I, I won't go into it in depth but i also wonder about um are, are we expecting the tournament scenario to do too much but actually because one of the things that could be really good for new players would be um and i think uh robin barbier was saying that he had a number of so people get interested around the the sort of league play um i can't remember what it was called the the front the frontiers Frontier, cup yeah. is it so so those are you know could we actually could there be more scenarios for Guildbox? So you, you, know, you could have the rookie league back. You could have more narrative campaigns. You could have uh, the Frontiers League, that sort of thing. You know, even a rule book of like, okay, you don't like tournament games are tournament games, and and they by their nature are more competitive and have a higher learning curve. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but here is a suite of other options that you can play, you know, casually in a garage with your friends, like in a, you know, in a club, that sort of thing. I don't know what you guys think, because it, it, it feels to me like we might be trying to load too much onto the tournament scenario. I think you can add stuff like that, but also you've got to accept it's not for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and you've also got to, at some point, say, what what is my game designed to do? Um because, like, for example, War Machine for ages, I feel like there were certain things they did. They were always trying to release things to give you more narrative play. But in actual fact, because the game was so binary and it was just so competitive, you it never really worked because when it was often one person was having fun, but the other wasn't. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very hard to get that balance. Like, um, I sometimes I feel like if Guild Ball's a game that's built for competitive players, and um, it like this, it's what I've said. Like, if they change that, I think there's a lot of sort of more casual games out there. And I think maybe you could do a different rule set, but I just don't know how much it would get played. Like I think that's the thing, because if I wanted to play a game that's got higher random variables, that's when I break out God tier, because I can I have to think less for God tier, and I can just have... It's still got some tactical elements, but the dice are a huge random factor, so mm. I wouldn't be looking to say, oh, Guild Ball's got a... Um, different system because i'm thinking well i've already got god tier for that yeah and i guess it's maybe a thing of like is i guess maybe it's about the balance what the people want like i think it's i i and i don't know if this is just because i you know i am a competitive player and 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 that's what i like about it so i'm trying to sort of separate myself from it but yeah like you say i wonder if it's more maybe people want to play 50 percent of the time competitive games and 50 percent sort of you know narrative more community stuff that sort of thing because you also you know also, there's an element of this: is what are your mates playing? Mm-hmm. Isn't there? Like, what can you actually? What's the local scene got that you can play? Is is is, is a big influence. Um, yeah, that's true. And I, I agree. I mean, I'm personally, I I would have, but I'm aware I have some bias in this. Like, personally, I would think, you know, GW did a very good job of marketing Shadespire as like the ultimate competitive war game, and that seemed to pick them up. You know they're obviously a very different entity and they've got a lot more money and a lot bigger budgets and all of that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, it feels to me like marketing Guild Ball as a high skill competitive game is not, you know, some people will be put off by that, but some, but I imagine if, yeah, like you say, those people are probably never going to play it anyway for any great length of time. You know, Blood Bowl is available. It's a good game. There's loads, it's hundreds of good games, right? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and most of them are a bit more casual. And that, that's why I think sometimes if you try diverse too much, whereas if you lean into it and say it's a competitive game, it's almost like how you think of um, Dark Souls, the video game. It got a name for itself by saying it is the most difficult game. Okay. And, and yeah. now people play that game because they want to challenge themselves. And it is really rewarding like as you learn and get better at that game. Yeah. And so it's that sort of it's, it's like oh so do we market ourselves like that because the game is already that but I guess you like anything if you narrow your avenues do you 
lose sales. That's always the hard thing. But mm-hmm. that's interesting. What do, what do you think about that, Niels? Yeah, I, I agree with Dave that basically uh, you would, if you're going to do some changes on the uh, on the game itself, you really need to keep the competitive integrity of the game intact. Uh, this is a game that's main uh, focus point is it's competitive. Um, this is a tournament game. This is for people that want to um, try and... Um, measure themselves up to other people. See, how good am I? Um, If you're going to change that, adding randomness for more, or just adding uh, scenarios for more casual play, um, I would say, sure, but don't forget what this game is. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess that's what's attracted and held people, right? That's the other... You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I originally, I was saying to the other guys in the early, but I originally joined for fairly flippant reasons to play Guild Ball. Like Charles Norris said, it was good. Uh, I quite like the models. And then I, but I've stayed because the rules are good. I like the mm-hmm. game. Um, yeah. I guess sort of one, one wrap-up question then, I guess, in terms of the field test, because it's looking at rules and balance. So if, if you could make one change, and I think I gave the other guys, uh, you could change one model and you can change one core rule. Um, what would they be? Uh, I'll, I'll go to Niels first, I think. So if you could change one model and and or one core rule, what would you do? Aye, aye, aye. Um, would have liked, I would have liked this question to be... <laughs> ah, sorry, I'll, give, I'll go to Dave first and give you some time to think about it. Then, yeah. so Dave, Dave, off the top of your head. But, so I'd say as a core rule, like that's easy for me, I think, just add the pass tokens. Like, I think that was such a good idea and i think i think more than anything it's a shame that um we didn't get any feedback on what came from that i think it would have been nice just to get a blog post saying because we can assume that it didn't work so it'd be a nice to get a blog post saying we tested it this was our gen almost like a synopsis saying thanks for your time testing it community here's what we found and we're back at the drawing board because i that's where I struggle, where I look at it, and I still think it's a good idea. And because I've not really had enough counter-argument, I'm still sort of hung up on it. Yeah, that's fair. And if you would change mm-hmm. a model, who would you change? Oh, I. You see, I, I... What would I want to change? Who would I change? I don't know what I would... So I'm not going to go for one of the obvious ones like Cast or Minx because they're they're sort of in their interesting place. I think the thing that's always frustrated me, I would go to changing rats and I would just change rats to... I. It's not a model, but I would make disease negative effects not affect the friendly players. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, so, see. Or at least the models with the carrier rule. Yeah. Like, that's something that would be something I'd do. I'd just be like, "Yep, Scourge. He's now he can spend one to stand up. He doesn't have to spend two. You don't have to take my mm-hmm. asthma. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I'll I'll do mine. So you've got to buy you a bit more time, Neil. I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and apologies, listener. I mine. <laughs> you you picked yours. Great, go for it. Let's go for it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, but um, my pick would also have been 
the disease mechanic. So thanks, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great minds, great minds think alike. Great minds, yeah. Uh, but for me, um, changing the core rules, uh, the thing that I would like to test. So I don't think this should happen, but it's something that uh, I've seen uh, mentioned left and right, and I think is really interesting is to just play with a influence pool and not allocate them uh, to specific models uh, that will just like increase the amount of things you can do. I think that would be more attuned to the like skilled player because uh, newer players, they don't really know. Uh, they have a, this pool of influence and they're just going to do whatever they uh, think that is best. But I think for the actual skill player, uh, having just an influence pool uh, and not uh, allocation, that would be so interesting to play with. So that's something I would like to try out. And I guess as a newer player, what it does mean is every turn you get to spend your influence. Because yes, you know, it that... removes that thing of like, I full stacked my captain and now they're dead. Yeah, so that, that would be a that would be a positive of the influence pool because basically, indeed, if if someone kills your captain and he had all that influence, it's not gone. You yeah. know, you can still do whatever you want to do, just not play with your captain in that sense. And but, we've sort okay. of seen that in Herder, right? That's you know that, yeah. that yeah. punishment mechanic in Herder sort of does that. It's interesting. And and what what mod? So you change rats. I think I think that all makes sense to me. My my two I think were. I would make it behoven on. So if a player, if a model has a defensive mechanic, you know, unpredictable movement or counter charge or resilience, the the player whose model that is is responsible for informing their opponent that it has that mechanic. So, mm -hmm. so I'm playing against you, Niels. You Piper charges into Midas. I have to tell you when you say you're going to charge that I have unpredictable movement. It's not you. You don't have to remember that. I have to tell you, and if I don't tell you, I don't get to use it. That's um, interesting. What do you think? Like, if, if I'm going to get in, onto this topic now, um, because I think this is very interesting. So you're talking close, uh, like things like um, uh, counter close charge control, and counter okay, charge. Okay, so also close control, stoic uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think it feels, and I, I know there's some messiness about it, particularly with movement based ones. Um, so I think, it, but in a sense, that's quite good because it's encouraging the attacking player to play cleanly because they know mm -hmm. if they, you know, if you just pick up the model and move it, then I can declare unpredictable movement, even if or whatever. But if you, you know, you you proxy it out and you play it properly, so a, a it helps a bit with clean play, but b it feels like, and I know if you're playing from experience that like you play it up, if you're playing at a higher level, those things come into play much more on death clock or when mm -hmm. you're short on clock because that's when you get caught by them. But mm -hmm. by and large, most good players know that models have this stuff. Yeah. And they're playing around it anyway. And actually, it's newer or mid-table players who are getting done by yeah. charging a model that they don't remember has unpredictable movement. What would you think of... Um, because nowadays, we have these tokens that say close control used, stoic used, unpredictable mm -hmm. movement used. What would you say of just... Turning that or turning it around, just putting those tokens right there. They have this, and when it's used, the token is gone, and then they don't have it anymore. Like an active trait. Yeah, I mean that could work. I mean, you kind of get that on Vassal, right? Like that's been one of the interesting things playing on Vassal is you know you just you know you get mar marbles and you put the counter charge aura up on them. 
stuff like that yeah yeah so so yeah that 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 sort of thing could work as well yeah um, i would just say in general it it is nice just to it, i think that works as well but equally i think just having it's not that hard to sort of almost like a social contract of playing a game just to have a discussion and say right i will remind you of this like i i've played a lot of farmers and i've still never done the thing where i've someone's moved into counter charge and i've flipped the clock and taken my counter charge i've always gotten six inches ready and say remember the counter charge or even i'd say if they're right on the edge of it i'll say did you mean to be in counter charge i'm very kind in that way because i i've positioned my counter charge to already stop them going to certain places i've not positioned my counter charge to catch them out Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that's that's how some people. I I think I've probably used those abilities. I think three, maybe four times ever in like fairly high level tournament games. Like I've definitely used counter charge in one game at WTC, and I've definitely used unpredictable in Belgian nationals. I think in like the semi-finals there. So, and I guess that's the other thing is like is uh, and and I'm. I try to be the same as you, Dave. Like in ninety-five percent of games, I'll be like, "Did you mean yeah. that? Does that happen?" But I guess, yeah. this, are you sure? High stakes game. Yeah, are you sure? About, but people's high stakes games are different, right? So I guess the other yeah. thing is, if you're new and you're you've played, you've gone to an event and you've you've played, you're on you know you're on bottom table, and I've been on bottom table when I was a new player. You've played, you know, you're on round four, you're on bottom table, and you, your opponent walks into counter charge. I imagine you'd be every bit as likely to take that as you as yeah. you would be in the final of the World Championships, mm-hmm. because the stakes yeah. are just different for people, right? Um, so I guess mm-hmm. so. I guess that's all I mean. It's almost like I think you're right, and I I would love to play a hundred percent of the time like you're describing. But I know you know if it really comes down to it in a you know in a big game against a you know playing one of the top players, I you know you might not do that. Um, and so I guess it's just formalizing that. Yeah, uh, uh, because that's the other thing. It seems like like good practice does seem to be people telling each other that. Yeah, yeah but if you actively add it to to the rule book, yeah, it's just making that it's taking that good practice. Then what everyone yeah. I think a yep. lot of people agree is good practice in go ball and just yeah and making it formal. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think I'd even have such a problem with it if getting countercharged wasn't a game losing moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I think that charge unpredictable movement. Yeah, like if yeah. you forget them, like that could be game over. And and literally in the three examples I can think of where I've used either of those in events, yeah, that's it. It was game. You know, like yeah. one was on our charged Midas. Uh, oh. Yeah, so that was or smoke on our charged smoke. That's game over. Uh, another was uh, yeah, getting counter charge on Cena at WTC, mm-hmm. and. I think the last one, the last one's the funniest one, which is playing a mirror match against uh, Dan Best, who's a, a lovely guy and a good alchemist player. And basically he moved a model around, he moved veteran calculus around my smoke to get to a better position to attack her and move elsewhere. But oh, obviously that meant smoke could take unpredictable movement. Oh no. <laughs> and that was the, but that was the game, I think, where we both felt sort of okay about it because we were both playing smoke. So yeah. we at least both oh. knew what was happening, right? But, we, uh, <laughs> but he just forgot. <laughs> Let's uh, yeah so that so that would be mine um i th- i think that's quite a good a good note to end on um other than obviously the big 
the big topic and the big thing at the end of this, uh, uh, at least our 45-minute podcast uh, now, is to talk about another podcast. So, Niels, uh, why don't you give us the, the elevator pitch for your podcast that we've already touched on, but give us, give us a bit more detail, you know, what's about, who's on it, why did you set it up? All right, so basically, uh, Unexpected Arrival is a uh, podcast, mainly uh, Guild Ball, um, and it's uh, hosted by me, by Tom van Anderoyer, otherwise known as Huggy, the guy with the biggest threat range of everyone, <laughs> and um, Bartek Celery, um, like known for uh, being in loads of semi or regular finals of big nationals or world championships. Uh, so he's quite a good player. He's quite a good player. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, that's um, uh, three, basically three, pl- uh, three players that have extensional, uh, extensive knowledge of the game, come from, from totally different communities, uh, just to pitch our thoughts against each other. And um, well, it's it, we also thought it was nice to have a non-UK, non-US, non. Australia podcast available. I think that seems like yeah, maybe covering the whole of continental Europe. And, and you, know, and between you, you guys speak what six languages, <laughs> something like that. From probably gets away from our our monoglot Anglosphere podcasts. Is a uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's a great listen. I recommend it to absolutely everyone. Uh, please go and look it up. Um, I think you've put links to it on sort of Discord and Gubs, haven't you as well? But um, yeah. but just just search for the podcast. It's it's excellent. We'll try and put a link in the show notes. Um, but if not, uh, unexpected arrival podcast. Um, soon to push Andrew and I down to the tenth best Guild Ball podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a just a little small thing. If you really like, we've pitched a joke at the start of. Um, the first episode. If you want to know the answer to the, like the, the clue to the joke, listen to episode two. Oh, and I, I believe <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be an attentive listener. It was something like a Dutchman, a Belgian, and a Polishman walk into a bar. Or was it along those yeah. lines? Yeah. So yeah. there we go. Uh, go, go for it. Go if you want to know that, and I do want to know that. Um, I look forward to hearing who who is the butt of that joke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you both. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Neil, because that was that was really interesting and really helpful to hear. And uh, hopefully, uh, y- your your visions for Guild Ball will, will come to pass. Uh, okay. Thank you both. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Evening, ladies and gentlemen, live from the continent of Europe, it's Singled Out, a Guild Ball podcast. This is episode we're not sure which number. My name is Steve Cole. I'm joined by Robin Barbier. Hi, everybody. 
And Powell Edek Korpal. Hello. Okay, how badly did I get your names wrong? Well, it's it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I heard worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't you correctly tell uh, the the listener how how we should pronounce your name and maybe uh, introduce yourselves a little bit about tell us a little bit about you know where you're from and how you got into Guild Ball. Okay, uh, Robin, you want to start? Go, go, man. Go. Okay, so my name is Pavel Korpal. Um, well, it's exactly uh, what I said. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. To be honest, for some reason, my last name also is a problem in Poland. I always have problems with my last name. But, um, well, I've been playing miniature games since 2008, I believe, or something like that. I started with 40k, most like everyone. A few games later, I landed with Guild Ball since mid-season 2, I believe. And I've been playing from then non-stop, mostly Brewers and lately some more goal-scoring teams. Yeah, so I guess that's me. And uh, Robin, uh, do you want to tell us about your, your background and how you got into Guild Ball, that sort of thing? Like Paola, I started 15 years ago with uh, with uh, 40k as everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the gateway drug, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not that special. <laughs> yeah, but I, I play War Machine for a while, for three years. Uh, end of MK, MK2, start of MK3, and uh, after that, uh, I discovered Killball, and since then, uh, I only play this game so hard, uh, four game a week. <laughs> so, nice. Because I love this game, <laughs> and uh, I come from Strasbourg, um, near Germany in France, and uh, it's very nice because um, I can play with the Swiss guys, the German guys, and friends. So I have a lot of meta just um, near me. So it's nice to see uh, a lot of uh, different play style, and uh, that's it. You have excellent charcuterie in Strasbourg, do you know? <laughs> I think that's my that's my one Strasbourg uh, piece of knowledge, I guess. And so, so for the listener, the the, the reason I've asked um, uh, Robin and, and Pavel on is is to talk a bit about you know the subject that's on everyone's lips at the moment, which is the Gilball field test. And we we've heard quite a lot from sort of people across the community, but I I was really interested to talk to people from uh, different countries and particularly you know uh, from from mainland Europe because you guys are you know you're all quite big matters and and you often have different views of the game, but obviously because of the language barrier we don't always hear them. So we sort of wanted to talk a bit about that, and I think both of you had had quite different reactions i think to each other and to the the sort of london meta which i predominantly play in so i guess the sort of the the first thing i guess we want to talk about is just um what do you guys what's your overall view of the field test like has it are you positive about it do you do you think it's a good thing for guild ball future um robin do you want to go first yeah, why not? Um, I think the the four the four point three um, uh, guild ball version it, it's almost perfect. So I don't understand why now asking question like this because the the four point three just came out and for me it's it's just incredible good. So um, but it's it's a good thing to question the game and uh, search uh, other way. But for me the game is just very good <laughs> like this. <laughs> So I don't see a big need to to change things, but I agree it's a good thing to to ask uh, about it. 
in France, uh, a lot of people have um, a lot of uh, ID, and uh, I put it uh, right with me, so I can uh, I can go in detail if you want to to know what people think in France about this. Uh, you you want I go with that or? Yeah, maybe. Do you want to say I guess what in general have people's reactions been that um, the game itself needs to fundamentally change, or that you know certain things, certain models, certain uh, plays in the game need to change, and then maybe talk a little bit more in detail. Okay, um, it, almost um, a lot of people, um, I, I want to say, casual players say that there is too many rules in the game. That's that's a thing that come back uh, a, a lot, and a lot of people want to make the the game uh, with less rules to be uh, more easy to play for beginner. And uh, that's uh, the big thing come back uh, in. Um, in the old uh, the ID, so that's something come. But I think with 200 um, uh, squaddies, captain and mascots, it's very hard to do that. <laughs> yeah, because I've heard that that said a few times, and I, I completely understand because I heard someone say um, more squaddies should be like Flint. Yeah, you because know, Flint is a very yeah, well-designed squaddy. <laughs> yeah, that was you, Edek. I, I guess, and I thought about that, and then I thought the thing is, you can't like Flint is like is really simple. Um, but because Flint exists and is really simple, you can't, you know, he, the space for simple is almost taken by those models. So, you know, the, those models that are very straightforward and easy to use yeah. um, um, mean that you, you know, you could have Flint on every team in yeah, some variation, um... but it wouldn't, but then you wouldn't have the variety. Do, do you think maybe you could cluster those models onto one team? You know, okay, so there is so... a clear beginner's team? Okay, so I believe that. Um... For me, Flint is the best design model in the game possibly because he's a very good model with very few rules. I know that not every model can be like that because the game will be boring. Yeah. But I think that there are many models overcomplicated that create corner cases in the game. It's very hard to explain to a newer player without them possibly feeling confused or even cheated for some reason. Because some, some interactions in the game are very weird. Even experienced players will be cut out because why? Why does it work like that exactly? And sometimes explaining it is difficult because you need to go to some weird timing sequence in the rulebook and show. Okay, so we are here. Then we go here. Yeah, I think it's making the models simpler, but not all of them as simple as Flint, is a step in a good direction. But uh, returning to your question, making a simple team. Um, I don't know how to do that, to be honest, it, because it's hard to make like 15 simple models because, mm -hmm. yeah, don't, don't know how to do that, but maybe a minor girl that would be easier to run. I think cooks are quite easy to run. Like, they don't have much rules on their cards, I think, mostly. So maybe something They're like that. quite straightforward, though, aren't they? Even they don't have any really complicated rules. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe that maybe that guild already exists and it's the cooks. Possibly. What What do you think, Robin? I guess um, in term, what were your community uh, saying uh, in terms of that um, sort of thing? Um, I, I I can talk for myself. Maybe uh, before I talk for the community, because I don't have um, the same opinion. I think of. I think the problem is is not the game in general for new player. 
Um, at my club, I was the first to play guild ball, and by the time maybe 20, 25 players play guild ball for two years with me at the club. So okay. I make a lot of of, uh, of introduction to the game. I make a lot of uh, events or I, I play demonstration of the game, or people uh, public can play guild ball with me on the and uh, I, a lot of of people play still play 15 players at my club still play guild ball so and they were they were all um, new beginner uh, new player at the time so the problem is not here for me is that guild ball um, don't talk uh, well uh, to his community uh, new player community what I want to say uh, maybe if you are the card of the of a team. And one of the cards is the is the fluff. You are, you have uh, someone talk about the all the the art the story, and then you have got, got the rules of every squadie captain mascot. We know that. But maybe a card, uh, one more card, we talk about the gameplay of the guild. It's a complicated guild with something like uh, maybe a not it's a four four star on five to complicated guild or maybe one of five. So a new a new player can say oh. That's an advanced guild. Maybe I should not start with Mortician. And he, he go on Mason or maybe Blacksmith. And Blacksmith says, Blacksmith is more like this. You play like this. This captain is for for crushing people. This captain is for make scoring goals and things like this to help new player to to just uh, see in his mind how you can play the gameplay on the on the guild. Something like this. I, I think it could be a great thing just to introduce uh, guilds to new players. Because when you're a new player, you can't understand nothing, and you choose just by the look. And when you choose by the look, you, you toss a coin. If you choose a hunter, something like Tyrone, and the first captain, <laughs> it will be hard to play well. And maybe you get bored because you want to score goals, and the, the, the guild doesn't do it a lot. So um, something like this from Steamforge or from the community to help new players could be a big thing just to introduce the game to new players. And uh, you don't need for me to change everything in the game, because the game, when you start to play the game, and the new player asks questions, um, the, the, the thing is that new players should ask questions. Is what I say to my new player. You don't know what that model does, ask questions. Where he goes, he score, he damage, he, what is the character play, what is the strong, what's the... And uh, I think that that's okay to have a lot to learn, but um, it should be more easy to get this knowledge. That's the point for me. That that, that makes I, sense to me. I'll, I'll, I think. Um, I mean, I I know for a fact. You know, when I started playing, I started playing with a friend of mine called Mark Webster, and he. I, I chose. I didn't choose anything. I purely. Charles and Arthur told us both that Guild Ball was a good good game. So I thought, oh, I'll play that, and I couldn't work out what I couldn't work out what to play at all because, like you say, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know what any of these do really. So I just asked my wife to pick a model at random <laughs> that she liked, and I played that guild, and that was Smoke, and that's how I ended up playing. But my friend Mark, being cleverer than me, he spoke to Charles, and Mark said, I like playing uh, Wood Elves in Blood Bowl. Um, what's like Wood Elves? So he played Shark. Um, so, so there's some interpretation there, isn't there? Um, I'll, I'll come to you in two seconds on this, Edith, because I'm interested in your view. But Robin, I'm also interested in, so why did people leave the game as well? Because I guess that's one of the problems the field test is trying oh, to solve, isn't it? Um, is why, the, the, why do people leave in your meta? Uh, why people leave in your meta, it's 
because um, the Teamforge don't sell uh, products with who shop in France. So the shop don't show uh, Gilball in this shop. So when you want to play Gilball in a shop who don't sell Gilball stuff, uh, that's not a big good thing. And at the end, you lose player because they think the game is dying because it don't sell in shop anymore. So that that make a circle like this, and a lot of people quit the game for that. And the second reason is just because the time pass and you uh, have a lot of new game around, like uh, the game of Clone One and uh, stuff like this. And so some players try another game too. So, but for me, maybe there is something wrong when and how you sell the the, the game in uh, in France and. Uh, as you have to pass by uh, by Steamforge uh, only, that that's not so great. Because by then, when you can find the ball in shop, people can ask, oh, "Where the what the model? What's the game?" And uh, oh, we have a community. We play that. Uh, come uh, Sunday or Saturday and uh, show. Come uh, try the game with some player, and you win some player. But you don't have the model in shop, so people can see it. So you don't have the new players. You have. Um, before and uh, some casual players just change game because casual players change game and it's not a bad thing it's, it's okay and so rest the rest the the, the player who love the game and want to to make big tournament uh, of it so it's like that i think uh, that that i mean that sounds similar to to us in london you know the, the the we all play at the same club we play in the same shop um, there used to be loads of Gilball product on the shelves there. Now there's not. Um, you know, they, one of the people in the shop used to be a pundit. Um, that sort of thing. Has not Edic, Edic, how does that compare to what you think and what you found in Poland? Because obviously France, as you were, we were saying before we started recording, is a much bigger meta than Poland. Poland's probably like the elite meta, isn't it? There's not that many of you, but you're really good at Gilball. Well, I think the big problem for us is that we have a few players who we might call casual players right now because they don't have the time to get the games in, basically. And when they come to our club and have a game once every month, and they play with me or Bartek or Zwer, people who were traveling a lot less here in different nationals, well, it's easy for them to see that they're missing out on simple, simple plays or get caught out by simple plays. And they, they get discouraged because they know they're coming to play once a month and probably they're going to lose because yeah. you need to have a lot of playtime in Guildball to like to keep up to date with all the different plays and different guilds. That's a big problem for us. Also, um, other stuff, people simply change the work or something like that and don't have time to play at all. But we never had a, a shop in Warsaw, for example, who run Guildball. We have one show that has Guildball uh, uh, on stock, in stock, but not running any events or something like that. So there's it's hard for us to get new players. We get a, a player, one, one player every few months. And it's probably just one of our friends who is playing something different and wanted to try something new. And once their, their main uh, game starts with new events, they probably just drop Guildball and focus on that one. So this is sort of people waiting for the next edition of 
you know, uh, Warhammer 40,000 or Infinity or, you know, to be released. Because you, you often get pickups from other games, don't you, when people yeah. are, when people stop playing when they know a game is going to change season. Yeah, lately change. We, have, we have a new player, uh, Kenneth, he's playing X-Wing, like, very competitively, uh, many different international events. He was at Worlds with probably, I think, some good results. So he's a top-tier player in X-Wing, but they had, like, a few months uh, waiting for a new rule set. So he wanted to try Guild Ball. He started playing Morticians. His first game in Guild Ball was with Scalpel and trying to teach someone Scalpel in their first game of Guild Ball is a disaster. <laughs> like <laughs> explaining... The only way it could be worse is teaching them Scalpel on Vassal, I think. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because in, I tried my best uh, he, he stayed with us for a couple of weeks, months, possibly. But right now, X-Wing is very much alive uh, on Vassal and uh, Tabletop Simulator. So he decided to focus on that. So we simply don't get any new players because we don't have a shop that runs events in Guild Ball. And I think in other town, cities, it's the same. Like, Guild Ball is not like a hot product at the moment. Yeah. Uh, well, now especially, but yeah, even before, it was hard to get any uh, boxes into the store, and well, no one was running events to like gain new players. I think a, a second thing is um, you have to uh, the the community need in this game is events. Guild uh, Ball is is a tournament game, and you need to to create a lot of events to have a full year of uh, of events. So people say. The game is alive. I can go here. I can see this region. I can I can go to this town. I can do I can do these things, and uh, I can uh, prepare for the for the next season, the next Serata in tournament in this place and something like this. And um, as in France, some people stop. Uh, some community just don't organize events, and so uh, people stop to play of because of that too. Um, I, I try to organize six to, to eight tournaments by year, and uh, I, at each uh, tournament I organize, I'm, I, when I a new player, I say to them, uh, they make a date for you so you can paint your models, you can train them, and you can make the tournament. And, uh, and the guys, it's a, it's a good thing to have this because it, it, it puts some right and some, uh, some interest in the game when you have a you have a date and you know at this date I want to be ready and uh, you know and I want to, to, to try my best at this date so it's, it's what I, I do in, uh, in my club to, to try to, to motivate people it, it works pretty well but uh, um, some region where they don't play a lot in amount or don't organize it and there's not some reason to play by the week so when your wife has a problem on something like this, you don't come to the club, then it's no ball and sometimes people don't come back. And and as as said Powell, when you don't play the game for one or two months and you are a casual player, you know you're going to lose and you can be very frustrated. So people can go to, to other games more easy, more easy to play, like uh, 40k and things like this. And and so I guess it's really interesting. I mean, that that all sounds that chimes with with my experience in London. And obviously, you know, there's a thing where you, I think you've covered two things. Both you haven't. There's a natural sort of 
there's a natural attract like some people join and then they and they're gamers so they'll play for two or three years and they'll see something else shiny and they'll go off and see that and then you have a sort of a hardcore of people who continue to play and then i guess the lack of presence in shops and the lack of availability means that it's harder to and the lack of sort of a a sort of european wide or worldwide events program makes it harder to then focus people into new games i guess so so what what because i think what would you guys do to attract what do you what else do you think would improve the attractiveness to new players i guess is do you feel like it's just about the fact that you it's hard to get the game in shops um you know the the competitive scene has stalled a bit because of all the stuff around the world's qualifiers and the delay around the national qualifiers and SteamCon. do you do you think there are changes to the game at a you know at a fundamental level that could be made and then we'll, we'll maybe talk about about changes that could be made at a more you know more around changing the rules to models like do you think there's a fundamental in the fundamental mechanics of the game do, do you think there's a problem as well because that seems to be what steam are driving out slightly with this Okay, so I think that the, the game, the, the core rules of the game are basically perfect. The model balance, probably not, but that's a different topic. But I think there needs to be a way to give new players some sense of achievement in their first games. For example, once the Frontier League was announced on Discord, I believe, or mm -hmm. also on GUPS, um, a few of our players in Poland who like stopped playing Gilbo a couple months ago, well, they, they simply weren't excited about Guild Ball. When they saw the rules, they wanted to try them out because there is some sort of campaign theme there. Models don't uh, models don't get better like in uh, Blood Bowl, but models get worse because of injuries and stuff like that. So you can lose a game, but you still have some accomplishment because you broke someone's leg and later you see Corbelli with two broken legs who is suddenly a <laughs> three, four-inch kick, for example, yeah. or mother who has three broken arms, stuff, stuff like that. But you have some enjoyment of the game because you lost, but you did something. That's no, It makes a difference. So I think Frontier League is a brilliant idea that needs to be pushed forward to make it even better for newer players. I mean, gamers love stories, don't they? They love stories yeah. about things that have happened in in their games, and I, I, you know, I'm no different to that. I can think of a number of where you where something really random happens, and that's good. And I think it's noticeable in Guild Ball because it happens rarely. And another thing I found, um, and you guys are both obviously, you know, very good players, is that there seems to be a tendency around a belief around some very good players that that what newer players want is to be told how they could have done stuff better in a game. But my experience tends to be that actually what they like to hear is what they did well. Um, so when I sit down to talk to people after games, because often like you'll play someone new, and generally they, you know, most new players in Guild Ball are actually experienced war gamers, right? It's very, very rare that someone's like, I've literally never played a tabletop war game before. So they, they'll often do stuff that's really good and really interesting. And, you know, so like a guy I played... Uh, relatively new player, you know, sort of did this sort of amazing range tackle, recover the ball, play with Devana, pass the ball down his team, and you know, and I'd, I'd not seen anyone do that before, and it was really exciting. But I guess that's that sort of thing is is harder to get, isn't it, in in the tournament scenario? In the tournament scenario, it's a hard uh, it's a hard way to to find it, but uh, 
I think um, at my club, I, I do a lot of sparring. So sometimes I, I go to the club with four or five girls and uh, I, I play against a, a new player on the, or a casual one, someone uh, who I have a better level than, than him. And uh, I go, what you want to, to fight, uh, what you want to see. And uh, sometimes I, I want to work on my cowbelly, on my honor, something like this. And um, uh, you, you want to play him like the American, you want to play him more stand-up, you want to go in with a lot of football, what, what you want to try. And if the guy says, ah, I don't know, you can play it like this, I say, oh, we go with that. And uh, I go with an okay matchup for him, and uh, in the game I, I, I give some advice, and uh, we, we make a um, take-back or something like this, when uh, the decision can change the game or things like this. And so the people can learn and still... Um, get some experience and good experience of the game but it's not it's not competitive uh, game when I, I play like this but i think it's a good thing to to improve people and give them um the the will to to fight and continue to to get better in the game and after that when people see see like uh, things like this when they go into tournaments they try to to recreate uh, things they are see and things like this and when they succeed they are very happy Maybe, even if you lose, comments can say, ah, I do a big link activation. I kill something and I make a goal. I make the six point two activation. I was very happy. Even if the if the guy lose, it's, it's not a big problem because he can he outplay something. Uh, the worst thing in in ball is when a new player don't succeed to to make victory point because he he don't set up well and he don't kill and uh, he miss the goal because. He, he, didn't, he didn't see a counter charge or something like this on all yeah. control on the way, and uh, that's that's a very bad experience for the player. But it's it's something in the game that that uh, should still continue to exist for me. So it's not the problem. The problem is other people manage to to go there. It's, you you have to help the new player for me because there is a lot in the game. <laughs> so so what you're saying, Robin, as as you speak through through the medium of the internet to say, I don't know, let's choose a player at random, Connor Rooney, um, is that you shouldn't go around just stomping on new players, uh, you know, winning twelve 0 with Shark. You should you should make it a more pleasant experience. Is that is that what you're saying directly to Connor Rooney, yeah? Yeah, I think <laughs> when I play in tournaments I make I make some I, I was not well when I was playing blacksmith in 4.1 because I, I lost a lot of friends and when we when Rivet come out I, I go on Rivet just to play again in the game because when I was playing Anvil and the uh, Triple Sentinel uh, I lose all my friends. Yeah, same here. Can, I lost like can... literally everyone. No one in London wanted to play me. Yeah. The only person who <laughs> wanted to play me was Fraser. <laughs> no one wants to play against that and I yeah. make a lot of tournaments. Um, uh, games, or I was, oh, you play right catcher. I didn't play right catcher in season four. Uh, I want to see what he's done. And the guy say, I never play against Blacksmith, and I was, oh, okay. So 12 0 later, the guy just, uh, I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> and I was sorry. And, and so. Is, is that an issue, I guess, either? Because I, I think probably one of the main times we lost, like uh, the nearest, and I'll be honest with this before, uh, you know, I haven't loved the way that the field test has been conducted but the nearest i came to stopping or at least reducing playing guild ball was when it was sort of in march april when vet boar first came out and i just and a he was really too good but b i played him every other game at a tournament 
like every tournament I went to, you know, four rounds, I'd play two rounds against Vet Boar. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the this time. It was Anvil of Vet Boar time. <laughs> yeah, and I was playing Anvil, like, and I started playing Anvil because he was good into Vet Boar. But, but I guess is there? So, so I think I guess what I'm hearing from you both, Edek and Robin, is is that you don't feel there's an issue with the the fundamental rules of the game. Is that am I, is that fair to say that you think that the fundamental rules of the game are good and for me, as Powell said, the game is almost perfect. Uh, uh, I don't see how you can improve it uh, without changing, um, without um, maybe make some some mistake in the gameplay. I think it's very great. Of course, some model and some gameplay are maybe not. Um, maybe some rules can improve some gameplay and maybe reward some gameplay to to see uh, a more football game or something more uh, less standoff, but. People like standoff too, so so I think you can play in this 4.3. You can play almost what you want. Everything uh, is strong in this way, so uh, it's why I said the, the game is very good uh, today for me. For me, so I don't see the main reason to change the fundamental of that. You, I, I think the risk of it, because it, it's a risk reward situation. You, you want to risk something. You, you want to, to some reward. You want more new players. For me, it's a communication and um, how you sell your game problem, not a gameplay model. But that's my opinion. Uh, so you want to change fundamental of the game, so you will risk all your big players and the love they have for the game. Maybe if the game changes too much, they will go to Mali for another game that is strong and very good and well done. So cause keyboard changed too much and became maybe too simple. But if you do that, you have to fight against the big monster of the of the, of the and that's it's uh, that's Games Workshop. Oh, yeah. oh, you can play on the on the Game Workshop field. It, it, it's too hard. In France, we have a, um, a French game in uh, 2006. 2000 and uh, into 2006 uh, was a uh, Rakam. They they make a game that was very cool. There was confrontation and um, the models were was very very uh, pretty for the for the time they came out and in 2006 they, they decided to go to skirmish battle to big battle so they tried to go on the games workshop uh, field say we, we go full battle and they make big box with model cheaper but less prettier and and rules that was okay but not so good that it was they die in six months and mm -hmm. In France, it's a big thing because everybody loved this company and everybody was um, sad that they they just died because they tried to fight Game Workshop on the field. And for me, it's almost impossible. You, you have to have big models and very good models. And good rules that's easy for casual gamer, but not uh, just that. And you have to fight the habits of people because people who have already a lot of uh, 40k, uh, they will stay in 40k if they want to play a game like this. Mm -hmm. so, Edek, what, what do you think about that? Uh, so yeah, Robin, so, just before I come to you, Edek, sorry, Robin, can you just uh, repeat the name of the company in the game? Because I hadn't heard of this, and then, then um, I'll come to you. That's Rackham. The game is Confrontation. Confrontation uh, and Rackham. Thank you, thank you, Robin. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that. Sorry, Edek, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, over to you. No, no problem. Okay, so... I think Matt said that Google is too competitive or too balanced. And I don't agree with that because 
the two biggest games globally probably right now is Blood Bowl and X-Wing, like in a competitive uh, scene. And those games have a very different approach. I don't think Blood Bowl is a balanced and a tournament kind of game because the variance there is absurd. And, and they're much... open about that, aren't they? They, yeah. you know, you, they have you no problem. Literally have, they have tier lists for their teams, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They're never going to make halflings as good as, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember who's particularly good in it, as dwarves. Yeah, and this game has been going for 30 years and is, has, has been dead officially. But the community was carrying it on and the game is massive now with events for like 900, 800 people, stuff like that. Also, we have X-Wing that has a very well-organized uh, official tournament scene with events in many different countries on different continents. I think there are two main tournament circuits. It's the World Championship Circuit and the System Open Series. that have two different formats. So you can you have a very successful game that can be either very competitive, look at X-Wing, or very like a fun game, like a, a dicey game, like Blood Bowl. So the rules are not the problem. I think that they just need to commit to Guild being a truly competitive game and focus on that. Go the X-Wing path, make more tournaments that are official and like, recognized by Steamforge. Maybe more awards for the, for the tournaments, stuff like that. I think the rules, the core rules are not the problem of the game. So for you, Powell, if Steamforge organize a big uh, season tournament of every country, uh, some titles, some stuff like that. It could be a, a great stuff to, to push people to play, to come to events and things like that. Yeah, I think, well, Fantastic. it works for X-Wing. I don't see how it couldn't work for Guild Ball if it was done in, well, in the correct way. Because people like events, like the Guild Ball before was quite openly like supported by Steamforge. They uh, send their people to events, to different conventions, and they will have like Q and A at, uh, late at night. That was awesome. Many people were excited to know that Steamforge is taking like real part in events. And right now, well, we cannot get a world championship. I know, like it's crazy in the world right now, but we were waiting for the world championship since um, it was like September or October. Yes, yes. And we're supposed to be in May, so like, like that's more than half a year waiting to finish a tournament circuit. I think so, there's a split, isn't it? There's a balance. I think is what what I think you guys are getting to is that is that there's clearly a base of core players who play tournaments, and you know, and even within that, then there's a set who play you know international tournaments and try and qualify for worlds and all that sort of thing, go to WTC, and then there's people who play regular tournaments. But I think um, you were saying. Uh, both you were saying about the sort of the frontier league uh, yeah. energizing people uh, and it feels to me like they're trying to do too many things with with the tournament scenario like you know if you have a you know if you had a frontier league and you had a you, and a rookie league and then you know like when they had the you know when the rookie leagues we had rookie fangtooth and things like that it's it's those sort of other modes of playing that allow you to play in in a more fun way. You're not necessarily a fun way, but in a more in a sillier way. You know yeah. where you get those big crazy results where Fangtooth jumps on all of your opposition team um, because he's in, because he's the Easter Bunny, 
Um, and you can play those at club nights and you can play those in stores and all of that, that sort of thing. Rather, Because so, I think if we're saying that the core rules are good, then you're not necessarily needing to rebalance the game so around, around that. You just, you just need different ways of playing, right? So you want mod, some mods of the game. So um, some alternative uh, gameplay of the game. So like like sometimes they play by the country, come from the squadies and the captain, or or a draft, something like this. You draft your opponent or things like this. I think I played um, dodgeball once or twice, and that's a very very stupid game mode. Uh, well, it's fun, but it's very stupid because you can make passes to enemy models, and if you make a successful pass. The model is taken out, and there are like four <laughs> balls on the pitch or stuff, stuff like that. And I know I had a capper activation where I ta taken out a model with a dax, made a pass to make another taken out, a pass to make another taken out, and you could make a dodge also from the pass. So you got a taken out and a dodge, <laughs> and then I scored a goal with them with my last ball. So it was like a ten point tapper activation. <laughs> it, it was insane, um, but yeah. It's I don't don't think many people know about those game those modes because there's like snake draft there's national cup there's dodgeball there's multiple mayhem I think there was one oh yeah musical chairs and I think uh, because you yeah. I am um, yeah I I I've not played in many of those formats but I know a lot of our local guys and a lot of the more casual players you know did and also I guess the other thing is right if you're playing a game where you can get a ten point tapper activation. You can pretty easily play again afterwards, right? You know, it's not like yeah. it's taking. You're not going to death clock. You're <laughs> oh, yeah. doing that. You know, you're you're over in turn two, so it's a much more. And I guess taking the example of Blood Bowl, right? That's always had leagues. You know, there's one of the clubs I play at, and the the Hackney uh, Hate Club. It's called Hackney Area Tabletop Gamers or something like that. That you know, there's always a Blood Bowl league running there, and there's a bunch of guys there who do play very competitively. But there's a bunch of people that play, you know, very casually in the Blood Bowl League. And I've looked at that and thought, you know, that would be quite fun to play. And I'd be, you know, if I fancied a casual game of something, I'd, I'd be keen on that. And it feels like there's not quite those, you know, those formats in place for Guild Bowl. You know, maybe if there was a big rule book with all of the different, uh, you know, yeah. different ways of playing in it. And then you know if you're going to a tournament, you're doing something different. I think it's a good idea because... You, you can uh, you can um, put people uh, to try some some of this kind of uh, gameplay and uh, why not organize a tournament of one of the this crazy oh. stuff just for fun and uh, so a new player can try something and a good player has um, has to learn a new meta and try stuff and maybe uh, so it, it can be great something like this yes I think um, so. I guess for thinking about that, the, the, one of the other questions in the field test is still about, because you said no fundamental changes, but I think both of you said there are balance changes and there are changes to maybe some of the types of rules or some of the players in the game. You know, if, if you could make one changed guild ball, uh, what would it be? Uh, like on the model level? or it's like Entirely up to you. Any level you want. I'll give, okay. you one, I'll give you one model and one rule change. How about that? <laughs> okay, so well, rules change... I would like to streamline most of the rules. Like Soma is a clear example of like being the only model in the guild that works differently. Um, for example, Love Creature is my uh, example I bring up every time. Like you don't trigger Love Creature with bait, but you do with Minefield if Quaff 
walks into the minefield. That's bonkers. And I would like to streamline the rules. I think that's a good change that could come out of a field test. As for models, I think cast is an abomination. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't have momentous seven where they go on your second column. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, well, it's even better because it's a where they go where you can stop in the middle and do something else. So yeah, that's not okay. Um, uh, yeah, as for rules, I would just like to streamline rules. So streamlining and standardizing of rules and, and, and basically nerf cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you, Robin? Uh, if you, one rule change, one model change, what would it be? Uh, my one rule change is uh, if you miss a goal that ends your activation and you make a goal kick at zero inches from the opposite goal post. So the ball bounces on the goal and you still can play it. Because I think now when you lose a goal, you offer your opponent the best camping option because you put the ball behind his goal. So it's way harder to score after that. You don't make momentum, you don't make stuff, and you still give your, your striker to get there. So I think I changed that. I changed for if you miss the goal, the ball bounces on the, on the goal, on the goal post, and it's the end of the activation, no other try, but the game continues and the ball is still yeah, so you can. So you, so you can't miss the ball and end up kicking it behind your opponent's goal line, basically. Yes, basically. I mean, as yeah. much as I love it when that happens against me, I also hate it when I do that. So yeah, I can see. I mean, usually, to be fair, what happens to me though is if I miss a goal, the ball goes that doesn't actually sit behind my opponent's goal line. It goes off the pitch and then lands directly on my opponent's thresher model. Yeah, and then and this score, <laughs> and you. Yeah, are, that's yeah. that's what usually happens. Like, there's a thresher just attracts the ball to him. So that that's the one rule uh, I want to to change. But then there is another one I, I love, but uh, it's it's um, you can't make more than four momentum on the same model in the same activation. Oh, so you can't farm it. You can't farm you a can, model from X and farm in one mistake. You you open up, make one mistake. You can make more than four in, in four momentum in one activation. So if you have a lot of model with influence, you still can. But if just you wait, captain, to make your six or seven influence and uh, a momentum and just do that, that that's boring as hell. And uh, <laughs> so you're not just hitting them, going momentous one, momentous push, momentous one, yeah. momentous push. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I could see that. Ah, so. And uh, if I can change something, I think it's um, the shepherd has has good idea, but they are too too powerful. The free oh, tactic and the dog, the they can score for the deployment zone with a uh, four influence. Yeah, but who who can't right now? Ekeros. That's it. That's it. And. Uh, uh, Erder with the push dodge into seven tackle and um, seven tack with um, with the cocksure of the veteran owner is not okay. That's interesting because I, <laughs> I I I I would probably I mean my experience I've only I've played uh, Daniel Harwood a couple of times into his his shepherds and, and found it okay. That that may have been because I was playing Soma, um, so uh, it, Soma's pretty good still. Um, despite what the internet says, but that's really interesting. That the so so is that your opinion, Robin, in terms of shepherds being too strong, or is that a general consensus in in your meta? 
Yes, because we have a big player of uh, us, um, Jean-Loup. He was in the in mm -hmm. front three in the WCC. They go to final. He was yes. the third player, and uh, he loved playing um, very safe at home and uh, very close. So when he tried Shepard, he saw, I don't want Shepard. I don't want Shepard. I want something that can make win and can be safe. And he go veterans or not. And veterans now, it's very strong because you can um, put the harvest where you want. So the dog can make a free taxi very well. You can uh, legendary run. So you make a second move. You push for the one you don't have push. And his rules of the dodge of two is not once per turn, it's once for, for advance. So you re-dodge re uh, another time. Um, if uh, she gets hit, you have less one attack if she has one armor. And Ram can make her the, the, the people, the, the squad you have to attack, you know, with the, his capacity. Yeah. So, and you have Cocksure, the captain, who has the push dodge. So <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty. I've sort of. <laughs> I've wondered about that myself. I think we, uh, I think it came up on BeardPod when they talked about it initially. Um, uh, Rich and Connor were talking about veteran honor, and yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the the London meta is, I'm sure as you know, is renowned for being a mix of you know very aggro football and then very very defensive. Yes, probably as a result of the two types of play, and uh, yeah, a lot of the people have looked at it and gone, yeah, why would you take Shearer, take veteran honor? play really defensively you know uh, and I, I could i could see that that's interesting i think my two for what it's worth is i would make it that um it if your model has defensive tech like if they have unpredictable movement or they have resilience or whatever and your opponent like as long as your opponent is playing cleanly and like steppers it out or places a proxy base and then says they're going to uh, engage your model it's it's behold on the the player who has the defensive tech on the model to tell their opponent because oh, that, yeah. that feels like a thing that puts off new players as well it's like you know so you charge me you charge my midas with a one inch melee model i have to tell you i have unpredictable movement yeah it's... I know it's a bit awkward in terms of how the timing of that would work. No, and it's like, more like I can imagine that there will be some players that will say, oh, I forgot to tell you, like mid-activation or mid-movement, I have unpredictable or I have resilience. Then you can't take it. That, it's not, like, that, would be, if I, if, that would be my view on it. Like If your opponent puts down a proxy base and says, or you know, whatever, or just says, I'm going to charge Midas with, say, honor, and you forget, then you forgot it, like because i think it feels like the because the most like most high level i know it comes up on clock in the end if you're playing against top level players are playing like factoring in is that's when you forget it right you forget a model has you know counter charge or whatever when you're tight on clock but in the main it feels like a thing that that ups that can does feel like a gotcha to new players so that would be my one tinker and my change is i still think minx is more broken than cast so <laughs> i would change minx um minx. i think cast is super good but minx is column one like if you can make cast only hit her first column she's kind of bad yeah, that's minx is column one is absolutely amazing <laughs> yeah momentum dodge and uh, snare yeah, that's it snared yeah. And or yeah. or non, no momentum, but you know damage snared, mark target, yeah. and back to the shadows. Yes, and back to the shadows. So but, so I would change those two. <laughs> that's that's my my sort of two cents on it. 
Union is the big winner of the of the 4.3 because they they was they were with a big um, big ratio of wins and they just kill miners because they okay miners is complicated that's which uh, people are frustrating because because of the this girl so just kill miners so miners dead okay then they go mm, uh, there is too much in Union what we change and they just put greed okay and <laughs> and I was oh <laughs> no minx in the air at all. <laughs> Okay, you're lucky. <laughs> in your player, are lucky. <laughs> uh, veteran, veteran rage on the receive is still pretty good. Like, yeah, you know, it turns out veteran rage with benediction and minx—that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Veteran rage with where they go because he just passes to benediction and then dodges four inches. It's really strong. I'll be honest; I'm still surprised how much they buffed navigators. Yes. I still believe they are the most absurd guild right now. Well, with the correct setup, there is not a model in the game that can have a arm higher than zero. Even like a brick with Honor's Legendary can be taken down to arm zero. And yeah, that's absurd to me. Because you've been playing Navigators quite a lot, Edic. You, you and uh, and Bartek have both messaged uh, me separately saying that you think <laughs> Navigators are insanely strong. Um, yeah, that's true. And, I, and I've said I can't agree with you because I can't have Connor be happy about this. Um, <laughs> so, so do you want to tell us why particularly you think Navigators are, I think, so strong at the moment? Well, at least for me, the game has been going like I bring down key any models to get them knocked down and engage by a couple models and start attacking them with like eight, nine dice into 3-0 or 2-0. And at this point, you basically hit everything. And for Windfinder or Ebb, you get like double momentum still from that attack. So even though the guild is supposed to score goals, they are very good at scrumming. Because you cannot kill Ebb almost never, because you just need to hit, keep him at 9 HP. And yeah, Squadies can, cannot take him out. Uh, Azimuth, it's 18 health points, and you got a Gladiator poised and uh, you you never want to charge him he's also very difficult to take out you have wonder with guide to like rescue a model you simply just go in guide and he's out of the scrum and when finders legendary can make a model a key model like almost useless because you dodge like four models to engage that model and there's no unless it's like hammer or brick they're not getting out of there that's true. Yeah. I, 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 I know it's like it's not the intended way to play them, but it's very effective. You basically turn navigators into brewers, Edek. Yeah, I turn everything into brewers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Robin, what were you saying? I, I would think Azimuth is one of the five best squad in the game. And uh, to put him uh, two four influence, it's a big thing. You can you can knock down four people, you can you can do that four people. You can you can just kill something with your free damage momentum and it's it's never disappointed. You can hit first, you can hit last, it's always good. And as as said Powell, with the he has all the mechanic defensive you need as a tank. I think in season four uh, we we saw the tank being um, less strong than in season three because with big damage and big uh, playbook um, a bad defense. It's it's uh, it's very bad in the game, so it's why brewers it's hard to play too, because the guy can choose whatever he wants in this playbook. 
because you are three one or two one or something like this. And uh, to to put a, a tank with four defense on the field, it changed everything. I think. Very interesting. That that makes me just uh, curious in general. Then, um, if, if what would you guys say are the top guilds in the game at the moment? I'm, I'm curious as to. I know. I know. Obviously, a lot of this is based on vassal games or just purely, you know, sort of hypothesis. But but what 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 do you what do you think are the strongest guilds in guild ball at the moment? Um, Robin, I'll come to you first. Uh, Fisher, because I don't see any bad matchup at Fisher. That's interesting, Fisherman. Yeah. Yeah, just because I don't think they have good, very good matchups. Maybe, um, maybe the new navigators, but I don't see bad matchup on on this guild. I think Brewers, because they still get buff Erata by Erata, and uh, <laughs> now they are pretty good. <laughs> okay. And uh, I think Brewers, it's a, it's a very good guild. The Shepherd, because they are too much. Okay, we, we talk about it, <laughs> but the Shepherd is a little too much. And I think uh, Maison, because with the, um, the death of Minus, I think um, standard game is maybe back in 4.3, a good mm. standard game, and Honor is the queen of the standard game, so I think Maison will be very strong. That's really interesting. Um, Edek, what do you think? Okay, so first of all, navigators are like at the top for me. <laughs> I'm scared how powerful they can be, or at least now they seem so to, to us. Like me, Bardek, and Zwe all agree that navigators are not okay. Um, even though I'm the only navigator player in the Lockdown Cup, and also in our Polish tournament, I'm also the only navigator player, I think people will come around to them, but yeah, maybe I'll be wrong. I'll, let's see. Other than that, I think engineers are very good with a great captain to kick and rivet, and Pin Vibes is just amazing right now. Um, something else. I have a phobia of steel job, but yeah, that's probably not like an objective point of view. Um, I still think hunters are very good. Not sure they're top, but I think they are difficult to play against. And if you're good at, uh, with hunters, you can probably get through a tournament like five rounds and like be okay with them, and someone playing Steel Jaw or Ferron in a later round of the tournament can be exhausted and simply not able to play at his best to beat them. Yeah, and that's really interesting. So I've just opened up the uh, the tier list that uh, the London community made on a uh, bonus time podcast. So if, if people want to hear about that, uh, they can pay money for it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure Andrew can insert an advert in there. And and really interesting that you know we had of the guilds that you've mentioned basically the top tier had uh, engineers, uh, union hunters and alchemists. So it's really interesting that you you know okay, you guys yeah. said fishermen, union you've is, said, yeah. union is, said uh, fishermen, you've said masons though, you've said brewers, you've said navigators, and we had those <laughs> down down several tiers. So it's so it's just really interesting to hear because often I think you you know you you yeah just how and. You know, you guys know what you're doing, and you know how to play go ball, and uh, you're both very good. So that's, that's that's just an interesting point for me. I to think. be honest, your London meta is also very strong. Yeah, I agree with Union for sure. For for good about them, I think Alks are okay right now. They're, they're still very strong, but not as absurd as they used to be. 
Yeah, they're not as good as they were. I think that my, my thought would be I would have them in the second tier because I think they, if you could play all three captains, I think Alchemist would be top tier because there's, there's some matchups you want all three cap, like each captain and Alchemist you want for. It's not like Union where you're like, I'm going to receive and I'll play Vet Rage and then I'm going to kick and I'll play Vet Greed and I might uh, play Vet Rage yeah. when I kick as well. You know, like Blackheart might as well not exist. Yeah, that, that's um, sadly, but that, that's true. Yeah, when do you need Soma? By the way, Soma, I think into so possibly into miners, yeah. um, because he kills them really fast, and possibly into blacksmiths for the same reason. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I can see that. Okay. Like it, so there's something like that where you would still play Soma. Um, um, maybe, uh, yeah, those those two. Possibly aren't. farmers. Possibly farmers as well. I still think Soma is very good into farmers. Um, okay. I think you play him very differently to how you used to, but you know you go much earlier with him. Um, but I think into farmers as well, particularly you know, particularly if you think you're the the one where you do definitely do it is particularly if you think you're going to see festival. Because I think when oh, they yeah. do that thing of like they're all going to dodge near to you, you know, a four stack Soma will just kill any farmers model pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and and probably like be halfway across the pitch at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Okay. So so maybe in those yeah, and then smoke you still want for like hunters and corsair and uh, and then some other sort of you know matchups you can you can certainly play her in. I think smoke is the most important captain, even though she possibly is played the least. She takes, the, she takes the steel jaw and the corsair matchups from being downright bad to being completely in your favor. Yeah, that's true. Like she just wrecks Steeljaw, like especially if you receive, because she does the same thing as Steeljaw, but she's better at it, and she has an access to a model with counter charge. Because you oh, can't, yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, you can do the Steeljaw, can do the thing where Egret throws poison at you, and then every model in your team's like, "Oh, cool, thanks for the free influence." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? So it's uh, it's quite an interesting matchup. I, th- I think we've diverged from, from our core topic, so I'm, and I'm aware I have a, there's another interview that will be added to this podcast as well. Um, so I'm going to thank you both um, very much for your time on a Monday evening as well. Um, and I think that was, that was really interesting to hear. And it's really interesting to hear um, that, you know, while we may not agree necessarily on what the top tier teams are at the moment, we definitely <laughs> have, you know, we agree roughly on the place that Gilball is in and maybe, maybe what the field test uh, should be looking at. So I'm going to say thank you very much, Robin. Um, thank you, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Ennui, <laughs> and thank you very much, uh, Powell. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, so this is a uh, the single out signing off. <laughs>